talking today in the Recruitment and Careers Club um, about you don't get what you deserve in life, but what you negotiate. And this idea came to me because I actually did a LinkedIn poll on it um, and wanted to test out what people thought in the community. So it's, it's something that I thought about and it's something that I've heard before in the world of business. Um, so we've all heard in life, right, that life's not fair. Okay, there's a snakes and gathers game of life. Don't get me wrong, we all want a good life. Anne wants a good life, Robert wants a good life, Dr. Roshanak, Eleni, Halle, all the people in the audience, whoever it might be, we all want a good life, okay? Uh, and we generally want the best that life has to offer, uh, the best for ourselves and our families. However, in life, you don't get what you deserve, but what you negotiate. So you can be the kindest, sweetest soul on earth, and you get nowhere near what you deserve. You can be the hardest working person, but yet go nowhere near what you deserve. You can be successful in your professional life, but don't get what you deserve in your personal life. So sports stars want to achieve, athletes competing for four years for the Olympics want to get what they deserve and all their hard work. Or tennis stars traveling far and wide across the world with maybe a small entourage, maybe even by themselves, if, if the budget don't uh, allow for it, training and living the life of a professional sports person and sacrifices made. Yet the majority do not get what they put in, back out and what they deserve. There is an assumption, which in my world of coaching and careers, and, and to Rob will would have heard of this expression, makes an ass out of you and me. So this assumption is that those who are most talented, whether it's the choice they choose their career they want or the job promotion they want. There is the presumption and assumption that talented people get that choice and opportunity. After all, the saying goes, the harder you work, the luckier you are, or hard work and dedication leads to success, right? However, there are people who are not particularly talented, but somehow appear to have it the easiest. Chances are these type of people have learned the art of negotiation. So what makes good negotiation? So the title of the room comes from a, a, a guy called Chester Carras, who said, in business, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. What exactly is negotiation? Simply put, is the process of coming to an agreement when two parties have differences or are on different positions. A successful negotiation occurs when both parties gain a mutual benefit they reach a point of an agreement. Good negotiators are able to get the best for themselves without damaging the other party. So in this talk today, we're going to talk about the title of the room in terms of you don't get what you deserve in life, you get what you negotiate, the art of negotiation and strategies of how to go about effectively negotiating your, your, your world of business, your career, um, all aspects. Um, and develop some uh, tactics and stuff for people in the audience. So I'm going to pass the baton and pause my mic. Um, and what's your thoughts on you don't get what you deserve in life, but what you negotiate in the world of business, careers and life per se? Uh, this is really just one, uh, Johnny, and thanks for letting me come up. It's nice to see you and Robert and everyone else on here. And I think, and I was talking to someone about this yesterday, I've had the opportunity to live two lives and not a lot of people do. Um, I was a very young age uh, professional athlete um, 
uh, you know, uh, the top of my game and, the, and sort of the top where you can get to. And, you know, the, sorry, my, I've got a pug sitting on my chest and she, and she makes a lot of noise, so that's not me panting, by the way. Um, and um, I found that during that period of time, the harder I worked, the, the better I got, the more success I had. Um, as I come into a, uh, a working career in life, like I do, like I do now for the last 10, 12 years, I find um, negotiation is almost like success. I found that the better I get at it, the less I gain by other people's failures, if that makes sense. So success is obviously attainable by everybody, and you know you shouldn't you know want to succeed just by other people's failures. And I find that negotiation for me, where I've got to in my career. And I'm sure it's for you guys as well. It's more of a relationship negotiation. So we've, we've kind of earned the right to be able to both parties succeed. And I find that that is something that I really do live by. It's not necessarily something for someone that's just coming into negotiation because you want to sort of fight for your, your peace. But as you get older and you get wiser and you get to know your clients, and you get to have you know, more respect because you know, respect and trust are different things. Trust is earned and so on. And I find that, you know, that negotiation now is very much a, a balance of, of success for both parties. I, I hope that makes a little bit of sense. It kind of makes sense as I was saying it. It does. Um, and it's interesting you see it from both aspects. Um, uh, being a, a successful sports person uh, and then entering the world of recruitment and careers, which is a very competitive industry per se. Um, and. In sport, as like business, as like life, there are a lot of overlapping themes. And you, how you negotiate, how you turn up, really makes a difference to what results you get. So there are a lot of athletes where there's such a fine line between greatness to mediocrity, and maybe if not below that kind of level as well. And some of which is the way they negotiate themselves on the pitch or the court, the way they negotiate their emotions, the way they negotiate their way of life, the way they negotiate their relationships, their partnerships, the way they negotiate things in terms of what um, contracts that they've developed, who they've aligned themselves with, what strategies they've aligned with, what coach they've had. There's a lot more to it than just rocking up and saying, look, I'm the best thing since life's buried, where's the, where, where's the, where's the trophy? You know, where's the riches? Where's the where's the glory? Um, and a lot of a lot of what you do in life, whether you know it or not, is involving negotiations, probably on a daily uh, basis. Rob, over to you. What's your thoughts? Yeah, thank you so much, Johnny, and thank you so much for having me and for hosting another thought-provoking conversation. So if everyone does not follow the uh, Recruitment and Careers uh, Club, please do make sure you hit the greenhouse, become a member, and also check out Johnny's uh, link above in the room. So, um, Johnny, we're well aware of the don't ask, don't get in life. And, you know, I, I very much believe in that. I know it's been a well-used saying, but if I hadn't been brave enough to ask the question in lots of twists and turns along my career, I probably wouldn't have ended up where I am today. But I do caveat that response with, how do you want to be remembered, be that in business, be that in your relationships? Because people will never, ever remember what you did for them. They'll remember how you made them feel. So... You know, in my opinion, do you want to negotiate to win at all costs, whatever it takes? Or are you someone who will negotiate with compromise? How is it that you wish to be remembered? So just to give an example, Johnny, myself, and you've been quite close to this as we're, we're friends on this app, I've been through 
a year and a half long business negotiation and being quite open with the room, I lost that negotiation in the sense of I paid more than I probably should have. I got bullied in the deal. But I would openly say I would do that time and time again because the end outcome of that particular negotiation was freedom. So you have to put a price on what you're prepared to negotiate and what you're prepared to pull away from. So that's what I'll pause my mind there, Johnny. Hope that helps. Yeah, it's such a good uh, share and, and thank you for, for, for doing so in front of everyone in the room and it takes a big person to actually admit that, um, especially on this app. Um, and there's something what's called peace. There's, there's something what's called the priceless aspect of having peace of mind. It's utterly priceless. So I think we've spoken about it before, Robin. You knew the kind of dynamics of that negotiation, but you basically chose which is the less of an evil to swallow in terms of pill. Is it the fact I have to part with a significant, and we're talking about a significant load of cash, and you know it's completely inflated, or, in fact, actually pride yourself on uh, choosing a peace of mind in terms of your mental health and well-being, because you could have taken this all the way, buddy, couldn't you? You couldn't have gone to court, you could have been, uh, you know, uh, elongated the time scales, and you'd probably still be in this position, uh, not even having a court date. So uh, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that before uh, Dr. Roshanak, in terms of your conscious decisions and uh, decision-making process in it all, really. Yeah, no, thank you, Johnny, because don't forget, our precious, our most precious commodity in this world is time. So when you're looking at a negotiation or a business negotiation, you know, is that consuming you and all of your time and all of your energy? And is that actually, you may end up winning that particular negotiation, but where are you? Are you better off along the way? So, you know, I took the view, Johnny, that, do you know what? I will accept a lose the battle, but in my view, win the war approach. And, and like you say, sometimes people, it depends which type of negotiation you're up against. As I mentioned, you know, if you're up against someone who's prepared to negotiate a win at all costs and will low blow, use every angle possible, then you need to know that you're up against that. You need to wise up in terms of, do you have the funds, mental capacity to want to, to compete with that? Or do you want to sort of strike a deal that, you know, is affordable to you or you can afford to do, so then you can free up your time? Because a lot of people in hard negotiations, it affects them emotionally, it affects their follow-on play, it affects them in business, it affects them in so many different directions. So I think you really need to think about what is the end goal whenever you're looking to negotiate or what is it you're looking to try and achieve? And as I say, myself that end goal was freedom and so you know there was no price I wasn't willing to pay to get to that I'm not saying that's the best form of negotiation but that was my overarching I wanted to bring a conclusion I wanted an end goal but at that point in time that was the decision I made I think you know it depends if you want to be known as I say, as someone who will negotiate and win at all costs and you know there's nothing wrong with that we're all equal different people but my view was, was, was the opposite so that's just giving you some some, some context Johnny to my, my decision making process yeah, I love that, Rob. And real-life examples helps everybody else, right? It's one thing talking about the theory, but it doesn't equate at all uh, to actual life experience and how these things play out. So I really appreciate that uh, real-life example, Rob. Um, Dr. Roshanak, what's your thoughts? Hi, Johnny and Robert, everybody. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to join you and having another amazing room. Um, I'm Dr. Roshna Kashmir, I'm a clinical computational behavioral neuroscientist and founder of Access to the Path, and 
I will give you a real life example because I just found out a friend of mine, Alex Flynn, passed away. Uh, sorry Alex to hear that. Flynn, thank you. Alex Flynn had Parkinson's at a young age. And um, he wouldn't let Parkinson's take him over. He negotiated quite powerfully with life and actually was climbing mountains. So he was a man with Parkinson's who, and late stage, and who was refusing to let Parkinson's define him and refusing to let it be the way that he was going to lead his life, meaning that he wouldn't be able to. He was the powerful negotiator in life with Parkinson's and was climbing mountains and was living his life and doing his thing. And actually was just in um, Nepal and managed to go to the top of the mountain, it looked like, because he posted some pictures. And, um, but now we haven't heard from him and it's confirmed that he has passed away, but he negotiated and lived his life fully to the extent that he could. So he got in life all that he could get out of life. And there is a real life example of negotiating. Thank you, Dr. Roshan. I actually, uh, I'm aware of Alex. Alex was on this app, wasn't he? I believe. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. And he was an inspiration to everybody. Absolutely, he was. So uh, deepest condolences to his family and stuff. Um, but thank you very much for that example, uh, Dr. Roshanak. Um, oh dear. Um, okay. I know, it's heavy, but when we're talking about negotiating with life, yeah. you know, we get so caught up in like the power play and lose the forest for the trees. I really appreciate what Robert said. You know, we want to win the battles, but we lose the war. So let's concentrate on the war, let's concentrate on the bigger picture, let's concentrate on that forest as opposed to the trees. And that is when you can truly start to understand that all negotiation begins with the negotiation for yourself. And now I'm speaking to you from a biopsychological perspective. All negotiation, if you want to win, starts with negotiating with yourself and understanding yourself. And once you stabilize completely yourself, then you are in the most powerful position. We all know that you negotiate best when you negotiate from a position of power. So when we are in that place that we spent time and did the most important negotiation, which is negotiating with self, to understand self, to learn self-regulation, emotional regulation, and really truly understand ourselves in this life, then we are no longer so easily persuaded or manipulated in negotiation with the rest of the world, with others and with life itself, we are in the highest position of power to win at the greatest game of all, which is the game of life. Dr. Rashan I'm complete. Yeah, that's amazing insight, Dr. Rashan, and I totally agree with you. Uh, people do get caught up or just fixated on one aspect when it comes uh, in terms of what you get out of life. And it can be somewhat business-centric and career-centric. It's important, um, but it goes back to, that, to the definition of life, right? Meaning, for me, it's about having a meaningful life. And that's three aspects. That's have uh, a meaningful relationship with that of your partner or someone you're married to, to have a meaningful job or business or career, um, and to make a difference. And I think that's where most people struggle with. Um, but thank you for that, Dr. Roshanak. So, everyone in the room, once upon a time, I used to be a hot-headed guy in my 20s in the world of sales, bit like a boiler room on a, on a sales floor, 
And some great, great salespeople, they tend to have real highs and lows, ebbs and flows. They're not like robotic, okay? Um, and my boss once turned around to me because I used to be like someone who was difficult to manage. And I think what happens with business owners and founders, we, we can be mavericks. We're not always the best employees at times. Um, and he said to me, Johnny, just choose your battles. Choose your battles. Okay. And I remember that because sometimes some of the best negotiation we can do is not always go into a situation ready to go into a war and actually walk away from that. And like Robert said, he might have lost the battle, but he won the war in terms of peace of mind with his partner. He made that. He listened to himself. The first aspect of the art of negotiation is to listen. And it's not just to listen to what you're hearing in the negotiation of the other side. It's actually also listening to yourself as well in the process of the negotiation. Because if you're coming from it from the wrong place or you're forcing a negotiation or you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're not going to master the art of negotiation. So the first thing anyone needs to do in the art of negotiation is to listen. Successful negotiators go beyond putting themselves. What they do is they put themselves in the other party's shoes and they understand what he or she wants and they try to meet in the middle and they also listen to their own inner self in the, in the process of negotiation. So we've got Nidhi, we've got Brian, we've got Yana and anyone else that wants to, uh, Jane, sorry, uh, anyone else that wants to come up, uh, please do raise your hand. We're having a discussion. You don't get what you deserve in life, but what you negotiate. Nidhi, what's your thoughts? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Johnny. This is a great conversation, and thanks, Dr. Rishnak, for bringing me in for this. You know, I, I do agree. I think that everything in our life is a negotiation to a certain degree, right? We're, we're constantly making bids for what we need and what we feel we deserve. And I find that, you know, women, particularly women of color, really struggle with negotiation, myself included, um, because I think that there's a lot of pressure to, you know, try to pave the way, which sometimes means that you take less than what you deserve. And what I'm learning is that, uh, you know, I've actually probably undersold myself a lot because of, you know, my fear of being unliked or coming across as too harsh or too hard hardlining. Um, but what I'm finding is that none of that is necessary when you negotiate, that you can negotiate and be successful in negotiation by actually connecting with empathy and truly understanding the needs of the people that you're negotiating with, as well as holding simultaneously your own, your own needs alongside that, finding what that middle ground is so you know I, I think that there's a, a finesse and an art behind it one that I'm still definitely a, a learner in but I've found that you know some of the misconceptions about really great negotiators is that they're stern and that they're cold and you know they just kind of come in and demand what they want but in fact often those people don't get what they want at all they haven't built any type of relationship there's no trust with the person that they're negotiating with and so they don't get what they want because of that right so so to really soften the way that we negotiated, to look at it as a conversation, a trust-building exercise, and one that should be led with empathy. So thanks so much, Johnny, for allowing me to share it. Back over to you. Yeah, I mean, great point there, Nidhi. And you make a great point. On average, when it comes to the world of careers, when it, uh, in terms of jobs, salaries, getting better salary packages, negotiating a better offer, and stuff. Generally speaking, men tend to do better on that sphere 
than uh, uh, than women do, generally speaking. Um, because I think with men, we're not shy in putting our, our kind of achievements and what we've done. And in fact, sometimes exaggerated to, to a degree as well, I've seen. But it seems like there is still, you know, the, how people negotiate in the world of work and careers in terms of making sure that they get the best possible deal or they're more kind of um, not worried to put their front, front, uh, foot uh, forwards in terms of making sure that they secure that best salary, that best promotion, that ability to not undersell themselves short. Women, in my experience, generally speaking, don't do as well thus far than males do on average. Don't get me wrong. There are amazing, amazing women that are incredible at sales. In fact, better than men in terms of getting more business, uh, getting uh, are able to sell better. But gen when it comes to uh, 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 negotiations and securing the best kind of offers or salaries or promotions and stuff, there is a divide still between men and women when it comes to that. I don't know what Ant and Robert think in it because they're in the same similar worlds as me in terms of recruitment and careers or Dr. Roshnay. Dr. Roshnay? <coughs> I think the issue is that most women don't negotiate to begin with. They have a very different attitude. And it's more recently that they're starting to come up uh, into that world of I should be negotiating. And there's two problems here. One is what Nitty said, you know, that, that being more emotionally, so neurobiologically, women are more connected to their emotions, as it turns out. Um, except for the more aggressive or anger-driven um, ones. Um, but having said that... Um, there's a second problem. So number one, women tend not to negotiate to begin with. They tend to undermine themselves, where most men, if they've seen a computer, they'll be like, yeah, I'm a tech expert. I'll apply for this job. And most women feel like, <laughs> I it's true, right? And women are like, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. Do I know enough to apply for this job? You know, they have two different extremes at the approach, typically speaking, obviously some generalizations. But women tend to think, I need to fully be able to do what I say I'm going to do in order to move forward and, and even apply for this thing, whereas men are like, well, I'll figure it out as I go along. So there's a difference in that attitude. And then third, so that, that you also would go into these higher positions, which would, that's a, a kind of a different level of negotiating. It's not necessarily just for salary, but also for promotion or for a job. But then the third thing is, and there's been a study that shows this, women are viewed differently by both men and women when they're more assertive and aggressive. So they're in a, a, a very difficult bind because as the study showed, um, this um, professor took a, uh, a white paper and showed it to the class and said, you know, gave it a man's name and said, what do you think? And, oh, he's great, you know, love to work with him and also play golf with him on Sundays or whatever. And then the same thing, except it was a woman's name on it, exactly the same. And what do you think? And both the, the males and females in the class said, yeah, she's a little aggressive, I don't really like her, I don't really trust her. So you've got this really difficult confound that we have culturally also that puts women in a position where, you know, they, they really have to walk a fine line in order to be able to get that promotion or that salary, um, that increase in salary, so on and so forth. Back to you, John. Yeah, that's a great point. Nidhi? Yeah, I, would, I love what you said, Dr. Roshnak, and I think it's really, really important, especially to build on that last point, to look at the systems that have historically benefited 
white men, right? Let's just be frank about it, right? Like that's just the reality. And so, you know, no wonder sometimes we struggle with it because historically we haven't even had those opportunities. People of color haven't had those opportunities. Black and brown communities haven't had those opportunities. And so, you know, when we do get those opportunities, then it's like this kindling that we're trying to like protect from all of the elements here in order to keep this thing that we feel like we've been able to achieve, fearing that it may be taken away from us. So I think it's it's starting to shift where more opportunities are, are being made available, but I think we have to look at the systems that have reinforced women being, you know, only making 30 cents to the dollar for every man's salary, right? Like, it's not great. Like, we're, we're really under... Um, paid or underappreciated in the workplace and then of course that affects our self-worth and our willingness to to put ourselves out there because we don't want to lose what we do have i do think that you know developing those skills is so so important and you know something that someone said to me that was so profound um in fact i'll be talking with her later on today your name is alex carter she told me that you know one of the reasons why as a woman you want to negotiate is that you're paving the way for other women to do the same and i had never thought of it from that perspective that you're helping to show organizations that no I'm going to ask for more I'm going to ask for what I think I deserve and that that ultimately is going to create the pathway for others to do the same so thanks so much for for those contributions that's that's a great great point uh Nidhi and just before I uh, I saw Jennifer uh um flash her mic and Dimple um before I go to Jennifer and Dimple you said that do you do you feel like in the services that you offer do you under uh, uh, sell yourself short when it comes to negotiation? What's the what's the what's the kind of issue that you face personally thus far? Would you say? For me, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to. So it's been, um, for my prior practice, it hasn't been an issue of, you know, set a rate and have been able to very comfortably, you know, keep that rate and, and be able to increase it you know, annually. It's in the speaking realm that I'm learning to charge more because uh, what I'm finding is that I, I am probably by five to $10,000 underselling myself when it comes to the knowledge and expertise that I can offer with mental health. And I've always thought, oh, no, I don't want to ask for that much. That seems like a lot of money. And, you know, there's all of these um, pressures, I think, for, for those of us who are in, like, the helping professions to, like, you know, to not charge too much or, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of guilt that gets associated with it. So the idea of charging five figures for something I'm like, whoa, right? So that's kind of where I'm kind of having a growth edge right now is being able to feel comfortable asking for that and knowing that I've invested that much or more into my education and advanced training, yet here I am feeling weird about asking it, right? So that, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty, pretty uh, normal. And I've seen this time and time again with people that I've, I've coached. Uh, the mindset of it is sometimes some people see their not charity, but they get like the complex of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing something which is notable for society and helping people. And then when it comes to actually monetizing it or actually putting a number on it, um, they can be absolutely brilliant in what they do, but there is a certain level of either uncomfortability in doing so or reticent or they devalue their actual kind of worth in um, the kind of the, the stuff that they provide and the services that they provide. So they feel like, oh, you know, 
is it really worth five figures? You know, uh, you know, or oh, people know more than me, or um, that imposter syndrome sometimes. Or it's not even that. It's like a mindset issue. And I think it's really, really important to understand with, when it comes to all aspects, whether you're in mental health, whether you're in the world of coaching, whether you're doing whatever you're doing, um, that you have to go in and understand what your worth is your worth and don't devalue your own knowledge base and what you do. I used to do it in the past. You know, I used to think, oh, everybody knows about the criminal career. There's nothing to it. You know, it, it, there, there isn't much uh, magic to that, um, surely. You know, why? Because it was so easy for me and I had all this knowledge, but I devalued everything. And because I devalued everything, I didn't then have the mindset of thinking that I could possibly monetize that or offer that as a, as a service in terms of they had any intrinsic value or worth because one, it was so easy to me. Sometimes when things are so easy, you devalue it in your mindset. And two, you, you, you think that, oh, everybody will know about it or somehow some people are more uh, no, worthy in doing so or more notable or stuff like that. If we can get that all out of our head, then we can really negotiate uh, um, figures that are um, to the kind of worth and value that we can provide at the end of the day. There is nothing wrong at all in making money whilst helping people. Absolutely nothing right. It's everything right about it. Everything right about it. So we just got to all get comfortable with that and not have that reticence. Um, Jennifer, did you have anything to say? And then Robert. Yeah, a great room journey as always is such an interesting topic because I think, um, and just following on really from um, Dr. Roshanak and Nidhi, and from my point of view, and I, and I work, I'm a solicitor, I negotiate every day, that's what I do. And for me, negotiating when it comes to somebody else's uh, matter, when I'm giving that advice and I've got that emotional distance, is actually quite easy. Um, I can see the wood for the trees, as Roshanak referred to. You know, you can take that emotion out of it and you can make that clear decision and give that advice. But I think it is so much more difficult when you're talking about it for yourself because it is that emotion that clouds your mind. And Rob's example is prime where he had to step back, put a line in the sand and say, look, that's, that's my line. That's as far as I'm prepared to go or what I'm prepared to sacrifice to have that row. Um, and the reality is you can be bloody brilliant at your job, um, but you have to create that success in the sense that people won't come and find you. I, you know, I had this sort of misbelief <laughs> early on in my career that if I was doing a really good job, it would get noticed by the partners and then I'd progress up the chain and everything would be fine. And actually, you do have to start shouting about it a bit. And not that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, completely um, intolerable about it, but you... It's about showing your worth, as you were just saying, and actually talking about your worth and not being afraid to say that that is what I'm worth. Um, and I think, as I say, I found that personally a lot easier to do and to negotiate when it's not about me personally. But as soon as it's myself and that progression, um, the emotion gets in the way and that fear of uh, looking too cold-hearted, as Roshanat described, or looking too aggressive... Um, and yeah, it's really interesting to hear other people's experiences. So um, thank you for sharing. No, great point there, Jennifer. And, it, and it's true. When you're negotiating for others, as headhunters even, in my line of business, I always found it easier to negotiate really hard and extremely well for other people, whether it be for candidates or companies. But sometimes I found myself in the past, when I was negotiating for myself, 
that, uh, for instance, like when I'm buying an item, the emotions of it carry me. Uh, uh, and basically, when you negotiate from a position of emotion, you don't always negotiate in the best way. So you need to make sure when you're like going through the buying process, for example, when you're buying a house, you can fall in love with the house and you think, oh, this is amazing, this house, I love it, I love it. And then what you do, you put in the wrong figure and you overpay for something because you've got caught up in the emotion of it rather than uh, uh, do the kind of process of what this negotiation is, which is that kind of two parties wanting the best deal for their own side and don't allow that emotion to carry you over because it can sting you in the end. I, I've had it done to, uh, with first-hand experience of that in the past. I did say uh, Dimple actually, Rob, can I just go to Dimple, Dimple and then Rob, Dimple? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I wanted to um, chime in on, you know, what Dr. Roshnak shared about, you know, women, they should ask early on and often they don't. I think that's a great point. And I remember, you know, when I was negotiating things and I was going to accept a new job, you know, I would set the stage from the very beginning before I even accepted the offer of like, okay, this is a career path that I want here. This is what my expectations are in terms of, you know, being promoted into management. And I think when you do that, then you go into it, you know, with having a little bit more control over the negotiation because you've made that clear. And because you brought it up even before you accepted the offer, when you're working there, then it's very easy to bring it up, you know, six months later, one year later and say, okay, I've been here a year. I've done a great job, you know. My, I'm ranking in the top, you know, 3%. Um, what is it going to take, you know, to go from here to this level or from this position to this job promotion, right? So I think that was a great point that Dr. Roshnak shared. So I just wanted to chime in on that one. Thank you. No, thank you, Dimple. Um, so we've spoken thus far about the difference between the sexes. Uh, we've spoken about mindset as well. Um, so before I go to Rob, um, we will then go on to about how maybe we can negotiate better because sometimes it has a cultural dynamic to it as well um, in terms of certain cultures will negotiate in a different way. And one negotiation that you do, for example, in the world of business and careers in the Middle East will be very different to how you negotiate maybe with someone in Sweden or in Germany or in the UK, you have to have that kind of awareness from a cultural perspective as well, the way you negotiate. Um, Rob, uh, back to you, buddy. Yeah, thank, thank you, Johnny. And uh, this probably leads my, on to your, your next point and the mindset piece, because I absolutely agree with you when you said there's nothing wrong with making a living. But I guess if we're to look at it from a recruitment perspective, Johnny, and a lot of our clients lean on us, you know, benchmarking is a great way to remove mindset in things if you're not feeling comfortable, because, you know, a lot of our clients ask us to benchmark what the salaries are in the marketplace. So similarly, if you're not sure, or you, am I charging too much? Am I charging too little? Information is key. You need to have the right information because with that, then you can make an informed decision and you remove emotion out of it. And so it's so, so important that, you know, if you are looking at your pricing models, you know, benchmark your service offering against what else is out there in the, in the market. Speak to other people so then you can make an informed rather than emotional decision because I couldn't agree more, Johnny. There's nothing wrong with charging, with making a living if you're providing value to your service and you should be paid accordingly for that and you need the information to have that. So I was just going to add that into the conversation. 
No, great point there, Rob. Um, and 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 what you just said, just you know, I couldn't say it better myself, really, to be honest. Um, just don't be afraid of talking about what you're worth and what your price is. You're worthy of it, and uh, what you do is worthy. And there's, like I said, there's nothing wrong at all in making lots of money and helping people. That that mindset thing is a big one that I see time and time again, and that has to go away in order to be successful and to get the most out of life in your world of business and careers. Uh, and before I go to then to Brian, yeah, I was, I was listening to some watching a documentary today actually on Netflix. It will come back to me what it was, but. It was really interesting because it was saying negotiation back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, when it was just you and the other party who were talking, you know, negotiating, it's totally different to what it is now. Even if you're negotiating with life and yourself and you're trying to improve your own situation, everything we have now is online, everything is on social media, everything that everyone needs, feels that they need to do and talk about is posted onto some sort of social network so the whole world can get involved. It's much easier to put somebody down or be horrible to someone, talk bad about them when you don't understand the situation. You don't even understand the situation yourself. You're just a keyboard warrior and you're just throwing it online. I just feel, as we were talking here, and as we were discussing, us older gentlemen that are on here, um, and ladies as well, um, I'm sure no one's as old as me, but we had the opportunity to be able to negotiate life um, in a way where it wasn't subject to everybody's you know, uh, view. Not everybody could see you, uh, you know, going to the gym. <laughs> a great one the other day, someone said, well, did you actually go to the gym if you didn't post it on Facebook? And that, that post was like, you know, there's a, there's a tree falling in the woods if no one hears it. It's very similar. So nowadays, you, you've really got to make sure that, um, that you are negotiating for yourself, for yourself, not what other people's influences are coming in, especially not the negative ones. Take the people around you that are positive. Like these, these, like yourself, Johnny and Robert, that, that I know from these, these groups, we don't know each other, we've never met each other, but I've got respect for you guys, you know, and we've only ever met online, because what you've said has been positive, what you've said has been something you talk from the heart, and it's been given freely, so I just wanted to add that piece there. No, that's a really good point. Um, uh, you know, influences uh, do affect how you negotiate as well. So if you have, for example, my background, I had super negative parents, unfortunately. I, I love them to bits, but they used to always put me off <clears throat> in entering the world of business. Oh, don't do that. You'll end up like your dad. You lose everything and all of that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So I always could tell myself, and, my inf uh, and I could tell my ability to move on in terms of the world of business uh, and try, um, uh, move on from the world of work into having my own company and being an entrepreneur because of influences, negative influences. And sometimes you need to get away from those negative influences if you're going to negotiate the life that you want. And if you want to negotiate the life you want, you're making sure that you get to the place that you want and you need to fulfill your potential on what that is. And that might be making that crazy, scary step, which it is when you become an entrepreneur and you have your own business, you don't have any guaranteed salary. So you have to sometimes drown out the noise, whether it's trolls, whether it's sometimes people from very close in, in terms of family, um, and make sure that uh, when you do that, you can then negotiate yourself 
and negotiate the best life for you in terms of business and what you want to do because negative influences can really drag you down and hold you back whereas positive influences raise you up so uh, it's really really important to surround yourself with the right people in life um yeah i agree with you Ant. um brian uh over to you yes thanks jerry um great conversation you know early on we talked about values and uh, I think it's absolutely key to know your own values going in, what you will and will not do to succeed, and what the line is for you. I wanted to share uh, anecdotally, I had a business relationship with a gentleman who was quite a bit older than me, first-generation immigrant, had a services company, and uh, I built a great relationship with this gentleman. And every time I had a very strategic uh, job that I needed to do, so I would do a lot of business with him on a weekly basis, but I would reserve those with the biggest bang for the buck, if you will, either worth the most money. And I, I would call them every other week. And, and again, this is a collaborative agreement. Um, but I would say to him, I would say, Ray, how busy are you? And he said, well, for you, let me check, you know. And then uh, he would come back and say, well, what do you need? And I would tell him what I need. And he would say, how about the price? And so I built this relationship and, and it just... Basically, having this relationship allowed me to earn 30% more than all of my competitors because on strategic opportunities, I would call him. And so I think, you know, it, it really is contextual, of course, um, but most people don't get because they don't ask. And people are afraid to start the pattern of asking. And um, the ask is usually more successful when you have tact. And it's very hard to be tactful when you're afraid. So, uh, you know, I would just lay out that sort of continuum that, and that chain sort of of confidence building. I, I think for myself, personally, um, my mother was very savvy, confident businesswoman, uh, finance industry controller, always negotiating everything, always talking about money. And so, you know, we started small. You know, if it was your birthday and you were somewhere, she would say, oh, you know, ask if you can, they'll give you 10% off because it's your birthday. And... Um, I would just encourage people who are afraid of negotiation and afraid to ask and afraid that they are it's going to go wrong to find ways to build their confidence slowly by talking to strangers, sitting at the front of the class, uh, raising your hand, doing anything, I think, that allows you to get some confidence and hearing yourself speak and ask for things. And uh, that's been my, my personal experience, of course. I can't say it will work for everyone. But uh, I do believe, I mean, even something as simple as Working as a waiter when I was in college helped increase my ability to negotiate because I became more confident. And I could ask people, do you want garlic bread with that? And up the deal size of their order, $3.50 quite some time ago. So that's my two cents, uh, Johnny, on ways to get started and some of the things that I think are important, confidence being one. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, if you're not confident or you don't believe in yourself, then you can't if you you can't then sell it right or negotiate well enough because if you have that perception where someone is more important than you in mindset guess what you're going to go into that negotiation from a weaker place so you need to have that confidence and belief and i think a lot of the times the weak the confidence and belief is what affects things i really like that point brian thank you um next up just flash your mic anyone want to chime in what brian just said otherwise i'll go on to jane Okay, Jane, are you there? Are you there, Jane? Going once, going twice. Um, and if you hear some fireworks, it's because there's uh, 
Uh, we've got five weddings in the UK. It's called Guy Fawkes Night, um, and unfortunately, I haven't been able to negotiate with the neighbour to to make sure it doesn't do the fireworks whilst I'm on Clubhouse. So apologies for that. <laughs> um, next up, we've got um, Dimple. Did you want to have a, a new share, or did, did you chime in earlier and you're okay? Okay. Uh, anyone flash their mic? So I haven't got a zombie audience here. Just flash your mic that you're here and live and present. Okay, we've got Robert, we've got Jennifer. Okay, and Nidhi, excellent. Uh, anyone else going uh, going popcorn style? Albert, would you like to go next? Sure, Johnny, I would. Uh, I just want to introduce myself. I, I haven't um, had the privilege of being on stage with you. I, I think you have a really, really good mindset, a really good positive forward-thinking mind, and that's what's important to me. And I'm new to Clubhouse, but um, I, I don't feel like I'm new to, uh, let's just say, negotiations, business, etc. But um, I wanted to bring up a, a few points that some of the uh, people on stage have talked about. The male-female perspective was really interesting to me. Um, coming from the male perspective and feeling like I've, I've negotiated pretty well throughout my life. Um, I have found in the last couple of years, if that makes sense, that, you know, there is this uh, perception that those that maybe are decent negotiators from a male perspective have some sort of, you know, take over the world agenda, at least from some of the women that I know, have, you know, they really are not responding, I think, correctly or in, in a way that I thought was compassionate or kind of made sense because from a male perspective and maybe you can chime in on this um and i'm from the america i know you're probably you're, you're from london and you know it may it may differ in terms of culturally but you know the perception is the man is the person who can negotiate well should negotiate well you know that's part of our dna if you will but i found that you know i've been asked to kind of um maybe water myself down a bit and that sounds maybe uh, rudimentary but i feel like there are people are wanting me to be less of myself because maybe i'm i've, I've trained myself to be really good at what i do so that, that that was my that was my two cents and you know it's not everything i heard during this very very um thought-provoking conversation but if anything chimed with you or any of the panels i'd love to hear it no, thanks, Albert. I uh, appreciate that uh, point. And we did talk about that earlier, saying that there is still a divide between the sexes, male and female, uh, on that particular aspect of negotiation. Dr. Roshnak gave a really good uh, commentary on that, uh, as well as Nidhi raising that and, and Jennifer. Um, and also culturally is different. It is different. When I negotiate with... Uh, uh, I've done contracts from the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia to um, the largest telco operators... Uh, to whether, whatever it is, whatever sector across the cultures, it, you have to adjust yourself and adapt yourself, okay? Because you have to understand the cultural idiosyncrasies on the art of negotiation. Because if you don't, and you get it wrong, and it's perceived as being impolite or rude, or you don't quite get it, because in some cultures, like in the Middle East, yes doesn't always mean yes, and no doesn't mean always means no, um, and there is a process to, to, to play in terms of understanding the cultural dynamics of how it works and also the time scale. So if you go in like a bull in a china shop and thinking, well, come on, 
Here in the UK, we get things done like yesterday, you know, and you have that same mindset or mentality when you're doing a negotiation with your business or um, your career or your job. Say, for example, in the Middle East, where things are historically at a more slower pace in terms of how things progress, then you're going to do yourself a disservice. And guess what? What happens is that negotiation will all come down like a ton of bricks because you haven't played into the cultural dynamics of the audience that you're negotiating with. That's really, really important if you've got international clients because you have to understand the cultural dynamics at play. Um, anyone want to uh, uh, chime in on that point that I've just said? Dr. Roshnak and Hand? Thanks so much, Tony. I, I love the points that you've brought up because it is nuanced. It's, you know, we, we tend to oversimplify things and then, um, you know, think that it applies across the board. Culture plays a huge part in it, just even the resume. So I'm from New York, I'm American, I came to Germany, and the resumes here are very different in the U.S. You know, when you're going for that job and you're negotiating to get that position, you're out there saying all the things that you did, right? And if you do that here in Germany, they're like, what's wrong with you? She absolutely can't do it that way, right? Um, there's a lot of different ways in which we present ourselves that we think should be okay, but in a world that's becoming increasingly global and smaller and hybrid work and so on and so forth, it's incredibly important for us to keep this in mind. And one of the factors that we haven't touched upon, which I think is incredibly important also, is allies. In order to well negotiate, you need some good allies. You need somebody on the inside. You need some mentors. And so I know one of the things that, for example, so late tonight I'm doing a room on um, if mental health is correctly, uh, with Nidhi also, she just left, if mental health is correctly being represented in film and TV, is Hollywood representing correctly, right? So you think about the huge pay difference for these really big A-list actors and actresses, right? And so if you go back, and this is going back some time, um, when you look at X-Files, and there were only two people who were the main uh, actors in that. One was a woman and one was a man, right? And the guy was making a lot more than the woman. And so she's in a pretty strong position, but she's also only making a fraction of what he's making. And he became her ally to help her negotiate equal pay. And so then you're hard-pressed as, as the, the studio to fight your main act, you only have two actors, and both of them are now on the same side. How are you going to do that? That's a powerful ally. When that show Friends was on TV, they made a pact. All of them said, we are only going to accept this much. We've all agreed, and they had to trust each other. But then they ended up negotiating for a tremendously higher amount of money than they had before. So having allies that are either in the form of your colleagues or in the form of that, if you're a woman, if you're, I hate to say it, but let's call a space space, you know, a, a, a guy on the inside or whoever it is that's already in a powerful position is going to make a huge difference when you're looking at negotiations. So we look at culture, we look at interpersonal dynamics, we look at our internal dynamics, as I said when we first started, these are all very critical variables in the equation of successful negotiation. Dr. Ashton, question. Yeah, I love that. Um, and emotional intelligence is a key factor to all of that, because if you don't have the emotional intelligence to understand your audience, you won't be able to negotiate effectively. Um, Jennifer, did you, uh, uh, saw you flash? Yeah, just was clapping to that emotional intelligence point. I mean, again, uh, 
you know, if I'm creating a work environment, whether it's for myself or for my client, you know, I have to read the room in terms of what's going to be successful in the way that I approach that negotiation. You know, a sensitive neonatal death is not going to be negotiated by playing hardball. It's going to be about empathy. It's going to be about looking at what's really important to them and how to get that, you know, matter across the line. Because there's no real winners in that situation. Um, versus a contract type negotiation or something where it's uh, you know genuinely just about brass tacks, the power shilling and pence, where perhaps you can play a bit more hardball or approach it in a different way. And I think, um, as you say, it's it's all about that reading the room and understanding the difference, but at the same time finding your line for what, so you're not compromising yourself, um, so that you're in a way that you feel happy making that negotiation. So. Um, I always, you know, play with a straight bat. I won't, I don't, you know, I don't go into all this underhanded nonsense. It's it's kind of if I'll put the case the best way I can. So, um, yeah, so I just thought it was really interesting, that nuance about, you know, reading the room that you mentioned. It's so important. It really is because not just, you know, that per se, but also body language, right? When you're negotiating, people when they give off so much information all the time, we all do. You know, we might suddenly play with our hair. We might suddenly, you know, move our eyes in making eye contact. Uh, you might suddenly uh, be start sweating more. So if you're in the if you're in if you're negotiating with someone, pay attention to the, those cues on their body language because that can tell you a lot. Um, it really can, and it's important to understand those non-verbals and verbals. Yeah, in terms of the emphasize, in terms of using silence. Silence is a great way to negotiate. You know, sometimes when you're in a key negotiation, like with myself, with clients and stuff, they usually say, well, Johnny, you know, what's the price? What's the price? What's the price? So I always answer a question with a question saying, well, what, you know, how, how much business are we going to get? What's the volume of business? What's the exclusivity of business? And what's the payment terms? That then affects the price. And then when I get that information, because information is power, information is key, that's how you negotiate really well, it's a good use of questioning and getting that information and how you negotiate against that information, is that at a key point, when you say a figure, it, it can be an awkward silence between the two parties, but it's allow that silence to play out don't feel under pressure to then suddenly interject and go, oh, well, are you not happy with that figure? Or I can actually go from 25% to 20%. Um, so yeah, that's an important point. Robert? Just thought you use a power silence, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I absolutely agree. I think just on the emotional intelligence piece and just everything you said, and I think there's a difference between really crafting your listening skills with these negotiations that you're in versus what you're hoping you want to hear or what you think the other individual is saying. You really, really need to hone in on those listening skills because on top of asking the right questions, Johnny, which you're absolutely right, and in our game, if you don't do that, you won't get very far at all, but you really do need to listen and then you can make sure you're asking the right follow-up questions and then making the right decisions. So I can't stress enough that the number one skill in this is, is definitely listening. Yeah, that's so true. There's a saying in sales, the best salespeople uh, spend 80% listening, 
20% selling. Anyone want to chime in what you just heard? Just flash your mic. And, and Brian? And? Brian, go. Before I started, uh, before we came to Clubhouse many moons ago, and I've spent very little time until I had the pleasure of, of meeting you guys, is mindset, the word mindset. We talk about it a lot, but from where I came from, mindset was as simple as just get more information. The more information you know, the better, the better you'll be able to challenge the, um, the questions that come at you, and the quicker you'll be able to answer the questions. Nowadays, we talk about mindset like we're just expecting people to be able to switch on and switch off. Um, which is it's not the case, especially if you're learning, you're educated, you're starting out your career, as, as you guys will know. But understanding when you need that information, when you can put that information in, when you can show empathy, when you can, when you have to be forceful, when you have to stand your ground, and when you should just say, you know, I'm going to take a failure on this one. A really good example, I'm sat by the window in my lounge with one of my dogs who's really hot because it's 600 degrees in my house because my wife likes the heating at that temperature. So there was a pretty simple negotiation. I said, darling, it was way too hot in the lounge. And she says, tough. I said, okay, I'll take it. Today I will take the loss. I probably could have argued and we probably may have got to some sort of uh, even ground, but that would have been a loss for me for about a week. So I just decided to take the higher road and now I'm sat by an open window. But ultimately, mindset and understanding and knowledge and actually when to implement that is, is super difficult. This is a wonderful room, I love it, Jack. Thanks, thanks. Thank you yeah. very much. Uh, thanks. And uh, Brian and then Shashank unmiked. Brian, did you want to comment? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it very interesting, Johnny. So, you know, your use of questions and also your laying out um, what the different sort of success criteria are or the factors that will come into play for the negotiation as far as payment terms. And, um, you know, we do this a lot in, in the technology industry for major projects. Uh, you know, we ask what are, their, what are their top three goals so that we can get those lined up. And then we illustrate the fact that there's multiple ways to achieve sort of their solution that they desire or their future state. Um, but there's a broad, that broad range of solutions represents a, a broad range of costs. And we ask them, you know, what is this an officially budgeted project? And what sort of figures do you have in mind? And if you can't give us a hard number, do you have a range? And so we give them all kinds of, you know, open-ended questions about a range maybe uh, where they can chime in. And a lot of people are willing to offer that information right out of the gate. Uh, one of the things that I'm curious about to tack on to this because it may seem to be true. If somebody answers your question, Johnny, about payment terms and the other items, and they say, oh, we absolutely need net 90 or net 45, and they know that's going to affect the price, and uh, the more demands maybe that we agree to, even if they're small, I'm wondering if that makes people think that they need to reciprocate by agreeing to other terms that you may put forth. Uh, I'm wondering, it's particularly I'm wondering if there's any neuroscience behind this, um, because it does seem like in some cases, at least a collaborative agreement, probably what happens is if people concede on something, they expect something back, sort of a give and take model. But I'd I love to get comments on that, and I'm not speaking. Yeah, it's great points uh, on that. And before I answer, Shashank? Sorry, I didn't, I might accidentally, so you can continue to do that. Ah, no worries. Uh, Dimple? Dimple? Yeah, um, thank you. So, you know, I love what Robert shared about, you know, listening is so important because when you are negotiating or you are, you know, trying to close a deal, 
you know, when you are done making your pitch, you really just have to be quiet and you have to be okay with that silence. And I think one of the most common mistakes that I see happen in negotiations and in sales is that people get nervous and then they just keep talking and they keep rambling and they just need to pitch what they're pitching. They need to say what they want out of the negotiation and then they just need to shut it up and even if they have to look at the wall and that's how you win. Um, I used to do that all the time in sales and it worked really effectively and the salespeople that didn't do that, they ended up losing the deal. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Robert, do you want to chime in? Yeah, I absolutely love that as well, Dan Paul. And it's as simple as this, less is more. It certainly is. Um, and that is a key thing that we all have to understand and, and, and appreciate because when it comes to negotiations, you know, it's a complex process at times and it can be more complicated depending on the sector you're in. But there are universal rules to it. So if you get any kind of questioning on your price, so some people say, oh, that's too expensive, right? What happens is there is no end to the race to the bottom. There is no end to the race to the bottom. There's always someone that could do it cheaper if you go down that line. You have to defend your position of what your market worth is because if you don't do that, what happens when you do that business deal or secure that client, deep down, deep, deep down, you're not happy about what you negotiated in terms of your price. And then when you work out the commercials of your return of time of investment to the price that you've charged and there's a disconnect, that will cause an issue. So you have to be comfortable and you have to like what you've charged in terms of negotiations and not accept something. It's also important if they say to you, oh, can you do it cheaper? Can you do it cheaper? A tactic that I use in my negotiations, and I've done 23 years of it, is that I will say to the client, to the, I'll say, what part of the process would you like me to cut out in order to uh, reduce my fees? Would it be the shortlisting? Would it be the interviewing? Would it be the report? Now, what part of the process would you like me to cut out? It's a powerful, powerful way of making them think about it because everybody's trying to get an edge on the other. Um, I'll pause my mic. Anyone want to chime in? Dr. Roshnak? I loved what you said. I thought that was fantastic um, because a lot of people get nervous. They get spooked. I loved what Robert said in Dimple. And first of all, silence is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. and makes people uncomfortable. And then they end up saying things they wish they hadn't said because they get nervous. And, you like, and in a way, it's good to get them nervous. But having said that, what's so powerful about what you said is something that I hear from really master negotiators a lot and, and someone like Alex Voss who says I'm sorry Chris Voss who says you don't want to have a negotiation where the person has a bad taste in their mouth like what you were saying maybe okay you may think it's a win and that's great but if you want to have long-term relationships if you want to have longevity if it's someone that you need to like continue to work with on some level right Maybe that you're even buying out some company, but you're going to still have to work with these people afterwards. Then you're going to have a problem if you've left them with a very bad taste in their mouth. And oftentimes, especially men, um, neurobiologically speaking again, they can't or they don't really have a good mastery of what their emotions are. They just have this sort of uncomfortable feeling. And I think it was um, 
Robert had said it earlier on when we first started, you know, people won't remember how you made them, uh, what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so if they're feeling kind of bad about it and they associate that with you, this is not good. And I truly believe that there's only win-win and lose-lose because if it's win-win-lose, it's lose-lose. So understanding that you need to have staying power in your field and also with the people with whom you're negotiating because you might deal with them later is incredibly important about being able to listen well, hear what they want, and truly find a negotiation where you're win-win as opposed to a lot of people who come in here and think, well, I'm just going to win. And part of my winning is for sure that they're going to lose. That's the whole mindset to begin with. And that's a very dangerous mindset, especially for your longevity, your reputation, which is going to go everywhere with you. Done speaking. Yeah, I love that. Um, Jennifer, do you want to chime in before I go to Shashank? And I also see that Brittany's joined us. And we've got Jacob, we've got Dr. Rao, and we've got Jane. And anyone else, just feel free. It's a free-flowing conversation here. Jennifer? Jennifer? Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, I'll just quickly chip in because I think running on from what Dr. Roshnak just said, I think it's absolutely right. It's about your credibility at the end of the day. And if you leave a bad taste in the mouth of someone, whether that's, uh, from my point of view, an opponent who I'll see on another case at some point, or whether it's for you guys negotiating with another business that you'll come across at some point, it is a small world. And I think it's important to remember that and um, have that longevity in terms of career. And just picking up on what Brian said, or questioned about um, the idea of compromise and whether somehow that gives a sort of feeling, I can't go to the neuroscience, that's not my field at all. But I know from my experience of negotiating settlements and things, there is definitely, I think, a feeling that if you don't take stupid points and you show sort of a willingness to compromise and be reasonable, that you do get that back in turn to some extent. Um, and I think the person who doesn't is the prime example of what Dr. Roshnak was just talking about. That's the person that leaves you in with the bad taste in the mouth and you'll know next time it'll be much more hard line, which isn't in their interest, frankly. So, um, yeah, just from my experience, I think definitely from a credibility and longevity point of view, it is really important to try and find that moral or ethical balance um, along the way. Great points. Um, I love that exchange. So this is uh, doing a quick reset. This is Recruitment and Careers Club, the mansion above my head, uh, the green one. Uh, so please do join the club. Um, we do a lot of these type of rooms where we try to offer as much value. Myself and Robert trying to build this community up uh, within the, the club. So we're trying to inform, educate and hopefully entertain along the way. But as I always say in all of these rooms, it's one thing listening, but it's another thing altogether doing. So you need to follow through on actions. We've got an amazing panel. We've got Dr. Rush now. We've got Jennifer. We've got Shasha. We've got Brian. We've got Jane. We've got the wonderful Dimple, Albert, Jacob, Dr. Rao, Jeremy, all these amazing people. And just look in the audience yourselves, left, right, up, down. You never know because that one, you could be one relationship away from a game changer. So we're looking to build this community up under the Recruitment Careers Club. We've got a podcast 
on the Recruitment Careers Club uh, on Apple and Spotify. We're going to be putting the latest, or not the latest episode, we've got a lot of content, a backlog of content. We're going to put uh, one of the episodes up tonight. So please do check out the recruit, Recruitment and Careers Club, Recruitment and Careers Club on Apple uh, Podcast. And I've also got a link above my head, which is a two-way me link, uh, and that's to book me for coaching. Um, and mentoring uh, on all aspects of careers, business, resilience, having left the Iran-Iraq war zone, building a life in the UK from absolutely nothing. Um, it's really important to, for everybody to utilize their services. It goes back to what we said earlier in the discussion. There is nothing wrong, there is nothing wrong but everything right to be paid for your services as well as uh, being community-based and trying to help and do right by other people. There is nothing wrong but everything right. And I honestly think, and I truly believe, that we go to the gym and work out so we want to have a good body or we look after our aesthetics or we buy this and buy that. But what we negate a lot of the times is invest in ourselves. And Warren Buffett, who knows a thing or two, he says, invest in yourself and that would be the best investment you ever make. It pays the most interest. It pays the most interest. So honest to God, these rooms are well and good, but act on it, follow through, and it can make the absolute difference to your life. I'm coaching a lot of people in all aspects. I run a very successful headhunting recruitment business, so I only take on a certain amount, and that's true. I don't do any courses. There is none of that nonsense. I actually coach on a one-to-one basis. I actually coach by select people that I believe in that I want to make a difference to. So please check out the link above my head and Robert as well, um, who's doing wonderful things when it comes to the podcasting side and uh, recruitment. Rob, do you, do you have anything that you want to mention for, for the community so they can help in terms of, we've spoken about before in terms of personal branding and how important it is for everybody to have a personal brand moving forwards? Yeah, no, absolutely, Johnny. And I just encourage everyone to make sure that they're, they're definitely giving Johnny a follow because you're so, such a community builder and you're giving so much week in, week out, not only with your Wednesday room, but with all these other rooms. And I always find myself learning so, so much. But yes, I, I was going to say, you know, the future is definitely audio. I think we can all see with all these social audio apps coming out, the power of the authentic voice. And so as an extension of that, you know, if, if you're looking to learn more about how to, to launch a podcast and, and grow that to build community and then ultimately to monetize that, then Johnny and I are happy to, to talk more around that and we'll be offering more tips, tricks and advice. So um, I think it's one of the best things you can look to do to enhance your personal brand. I know Jennifer is a good friend of mine, the legal community perhaps would never have got to know me if it wasn't through having vehicles such as podcasting, which would allow me to be a thought leader, add value to that community and build that. So we're happy to share that knowledge with all of you. Please do just go in touch and uh, send uh, Johnny a DM and we'll uh, we'll try our best to, to accommodate you but really enjoying the discussion Johnny as always and thanks so much for having me no thanks Robert and please do reach out to Robert on his Instagram and he also has a two way me uh, uh, a link uh, which is happy to give anyone that contacts him on direct messaging and um, you can then organise between yourselves uh, how you can go about making yourself a brand and podcasting is a really good way I know a lot of people do it this guy's got his podcast in the top two and a half percent. You know, I'm, I'm a bit rubbish on podcasting. I'll be honest with you. I'm learning from Rob uh, on that is not my genre, but he's definitely the man to go in terms of personal branding. And the last part of 
the kind of advert before we get back to the, the discussion. And that's the, the masterclass that we will be doing with Dr. Roshanak. And that's about upscaling businesses um, and from a, both a behavioral recruitment and headhunting perspective. Um, so we're going to launch that pretty soon in helping founders, micro entrepreneurs, how to scale their business, how to move on. I'll come in from a, a headhunting recruitment perspective, having dealt with some of the biggest um, startups there is from uh, uh, startup to scale up to unicorns and disruptors and as well as multinational companies the good the bad the ugly what's worked what's not worked because a lot of what we're doing is giving you our experience and what has gone wrong as well as what's gone right because it's really important both aspects right you learn a lot from people's experiences of their mistakes and what's gone wrong and how they've improved how they've got over it what happened and how they can uh, then you you can utilize all of that knowledge in terms of your own uh, perspectives, whether it's work, whether it's business and, and what have you. So now back to the discussion. Uh, Shashak, over to you. Thanks, Johnny. Um, I'm quite delighted that your community is just about 20,000 members, probably today or next week, uh, which is amazing value that you have provided to everybody. So thank you. And thank you also always for having me and giving me space. Uh, I'm assuming the title is related to recruitment and careers. Uh, and in my 25 plus years of building companies in different situations, from small companies to large companies, it is absolutely correct. It's not about what the employees deserve, uh, it is about what they are able to negotiate with their line managers, with the you know company, with the teams around them, uh, both as a manager or um, as an employee. Uh, one of the things that I've always found interesting is that employees or team members who bring data in terms of negotiation, they generally win the argument much more, many, many, many more times better compared to people who come without data. And generally the trait that I found that people who brought data to the table when they were negotiating whatever, whether they were negotiating a title, whether they were negotiating, you know, more remuneration, whether they were negotiating more time off, if they, they had this one trait that they consistently created a list of things that they achieved or things that they failed on a regular weekly or you know fortnightly or monthly basis so when they wanted to negotiate they had that hard data to prove why they wanted more of or less of something and they were in a better negotiation negotiation situation uh, that's all i'm going to say so people who are interested in negotiating their way upwards or anything Keep collecting data all the time. You can create like a Word document, running Word document or Excel sheet or whatever, where people you write data. These are my successes. These are the things that I add value. What are the values that you created or added to the company outside of your primary responsibility? Once you have that hard data, then managers and the you know leaders in the company have no choice but to recognize it. Because many times, when we do these kind of achievements on the side. We don't remember it on the negotiation table. So if you keep documenting it, it really helps. So thank you so much, Johnny. Back to you. Yeah, great points there. I mean, the discussion was also involved in the world of business um, and um, how we, and it's business and careers. So founders, micro entrepreneurs, as well as the world of work in terms of negotiating salaries and positions. Uh, Abby's not got to negotiate herself with the mic. Um, just meet you there for a second, <laughs> um, but um, Shashank, when it comes because you've been a tech entrepreneur and you founded quite a lot of companies, 
what's your take on bargaining power in the world of negotiations in terms of how you've negotiated with clients and with your ventures and businesses around bargaining power? So more data you have, better bargaining power you have. More persuasive you are uh, with reasoning, the more bargaining power you have. More value you can project with linear or non-linear connection of what the future value you can bring to the table or addition you can do. Of course, that all increases the bargaining power. Um, Co-founders, you know, team members, uh, it is constant, constant structure uh, and constant uh, conversation for increasing the bargaining power. And you ha- also have to look in teams and in company of what are the things that you are doing that others are not doing versus what are the things that you're not doing what others are doing. Again, one more thing is that sometimes many people think that they are doing, bringing a lot of value but they forget that it is not aligned with the company's goal. So if company's goal is higher growth and they are trying to do cost cutting, then that's completely opposite. That means their leaders will not value it. And this is one thing that happens in startups all the time. Many times when startups are in a high growth trajectory, they do not care if the cash is burned faster. Some people forget the context and they start doing cost cutting when they shouldn't be doing cost cutting. On the other hand, they do the opposite when they should be doing cost cutting, they don't do cost cutting. They're not frugal when they're supposed to be frugal. And these are the kind of things that, again, it's a very complex matter that can't be obviously done in one room, but yes, I completely agree with you, Johnny, that bargaining power becomes better and better if you're able to put the context of what you're doing and what value you bring today and in future, then it absolutely helps everybody. Yeah, great points there. Anyone want to chime in before I go to Jane? Uh, I'll go back to Jane uh, uh, on what you just heard. Just flash your mic. Okay, Jane, are you there? Going once, going twice. Okay. Uh, Albert, did you want to say something before I go to Jacob? Uh, I think something that came to mind, Johnny. This may change the trajectory of this because everything I just heard was phenomenal in terms of data, support, etc. I want to interject this this premise of the survivor premise. You know, we've all seen the TV show. Whereas if you become the spotlight of a company, and I've had this happen to me, where you negotiate correctly, you bring a lot of experience and a lot of success behind you, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of the focus of the company becomes your work and, you know, your name is synonymous with the company very often. You be, there's this survivor, let's try to, you know, find a way to take the shine off that person. I just, I just find this as something, you know, being, 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 I've worked in a bunch of different companies at, at all different levels. I just wanted to hear the board, you know, the panels, comments on this kind of phenomenon, which I think if you're a high flyer or a high achiever in life, you're going to have the spotlight a lot of the time. And maybe it's not always in the right light. And you know, the idea of other people having an opinion on your work, other people being working with you and finding finding either, you know, great things or not so great things because of their own self interest. I just wanted to introduce this premise 
because I think it's a human premise rather than a, just a business or you know society premise. I think the topic is relevant given the type of people we're talking to and the type of people we are. How each of you deal with that kind of scrutiny and that kind of um, presence, if that makes sense. And I don't know if I'm making any sense. How's that? I'm just trying to get, um, thanks for your point there, Albert. I'm just trying to uh, decipher exactly what you mean so I can answer the question or the, the, the panel. Um, I, I don't think it's answerable in one ear. I think it's just a, a, a premise that, you know, once you become successful, and I know each of us has, there, there's, there's almost a target that we need to, to be aware of. Does that make sense or no? The target in terms of the target of business or the business other people in our company. Uh-huh, uh-huh. so you've yeah. been a target of other people in, in in your business because you're being successful things like jealousy and other aspects and stuff like that right gotcha anyone have any experience of that that's affected them um robert yeah and brian robert yeah, no, um, great, great point, Albert. And I remember my, my grandfather, who was my greatest mentor, used to say, you know, if anyone can be successful, it's far harder to stay successful. Um, and I think in terms of, of, of this, I have had experiences before I set up my own business where, you know, I was, um, you know, I sound quite self-promotional now, Johnny, which, you know, I'm not a massive fan of. I was one of the youngest organically great directors within that business. And I was someone behind me um, at every angle, and I knew they would try and do underhand things or, you know, do things to towards me, try and get ahead of me. But at the end of the day, if you stick to your race and you focus on your goals and you focus on what you're trying to achieve and the value you'll bring to the organisation and don't get bogged down in that, that's always worked for me. So it's a cliche as it comes, but running your own race at your own pace is, is something that I advise and I, I, I can't speak highly enough to that, Johnny. So I hope that helps somewhat, but back to you, my friend. Yeah, really great points. Uh, Brian, and then I saw Jennifer as well. Brian? Yeah, so really, um, you know, I had a case where I was up for a promotion, and one of the aspects was the title, uh, along with other pieces of the package. And, and there was a title I, you know, I kind of wanted, uh, and it became a sticking point in the negotiation. And I think it was partly this reason, right? Nobody wanted to see, you know, not nobody, but there was one individual or two individuals that just couldn't bear to have. You know this realignment happened, and, and, and you know for their whatever reasons, their personal reasons. And, and actually, a friend of mine who's a coach said, "Hey, just take that totally off the table. Tell them you don't care about the title. Just get the money. Just get the position outline, and just take that off the table." And when I said I don't care about that, immediately they they said, "Well, we want to give it to you anyway." You know, uh, because they felt like they were losing ground, or I was disinterested. Um, but it was just a case where you know I realized that their perception was that. You know, I was going to somehow be praised by this title, and it was important. They thought that I wanted it, and uh, when I said I didn't want it, it, it became a non-issue. So I think there's all kinds of small mind games that can come into play, and uh, and this really does go back to you know figuring out what's trivial in the negotiation and, and what's not. So I'm all in there. No, thanks, Brian. Great points. Um, Jeremy, did you want to say something? Yeah, I think you mentioned another thing first. Was there somebody else first? Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, Jennifer? Don't worry, I was just clapping to Robert and saying about the run your own race, so go for it. <laughs> uh, to Jeremy, I'm with you. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I've had a lot of this actually recently where I have a very emotional head coach in the professional basketball ranks. And emotional people are interesting because if you are playing bad, if you're doing something bad, you're, you're going to be like, 
first on their lips, it's going to be out of their mouth, and they're going to be completely taking you down. But as soon as you're doing well, you become their favorite, and they're literally talking about you all day. So I, I have a target on my back, is what you were saying, um, from having all this new success. But kind of what Robert was saying, too, is like, it's how we show up every single day anyways. And emotional people are going to exist regardless, and there actually should be, as far as negotiation goes, it should be your biggest asset. Because a lot, of, a lot of people are like, they can't handle the hate. But once the praise comes, it's going to come at a very, like, very high level, from, especially from those kind of people. And everyone's going to have their own thoughts on it. But it really doesn't matter because now they're going to be looking at you every day of how are you showing up? And are you still being that example? Are you still being that leader? So I think a target is good. And I really think it's just added pressure to your life. And if we're really going to do something that's really big, the amount of pressure that's going to be on you all the time is absurd. So I, I think pressure is a good thing, and I think having a target is honestly a good thing too because if you're constantly speaking your truth and like standing up, if you have your core values and you know who you are, once you're in that space, you're going to be just fine. And I think people have, are like nervous about getting the spotlight sometimes because they don't know who they are. So I think if I was going to say anything to the people in the audience, it would be make sure you know who you are before you get the spotlight because you're going to have opinions and praise and a lot of things thrown your way. And you actually have to be stronger to handle praise, I think, than you do to handle hate. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, such a beautiful point. Uh, I love that, Jeremy. Um, Jennifer, did you want to chime in? Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting what Jeremy just said there. And I think um, it's so true, isn't it? At the end of the day, if you're doing something right, then people are going to be threatened by you. And that's the reality of it, isn't it? And I think you have to kind of block that out and um, focus on your own game. And as um, Rob said, and focus on what you want to do and be true to yourself because at the end of the day if you weren't succeeding they wouldn't care so interesting yeah that's a, that, that that is a terrific point dr Marshallek. oh i was just clapping uh mutual appreciation society here um i would say as well pressure pressure right is an important aspect when it comes to negotiations or in the world of work and career and business and there's a famous saying by Billie Jean King, which was a very famous uh, female tennis player who has achieved a lot in her career. Pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege. And the reason why she said that is because you, when you have pressure like that, positive pressure that is, um, you're in positions of achieving great things or you've re you're reaching a point of doing something which is notable and worthy and, and, and achievement-based. So sometimes with negotiations as well, the pressure can get a bit too much if you do it in a negative connotation rather than treat it in a positive connotation. Again, it goes back to that mindset aspect of how you go in to negotiations, whether it's your professional life um, or other aspects. Even in your personal life, you're negotiating. You know, you're negotiating decisions, whether what's, what school your children go to between you and your partner. You're having a negotiation. Maybe you've got one opinion, they've got another opinion. Maybe sometimes time spent with grandparents between who, you know, who looks after the kids when maybe you and the partner go out and stuff, there's negotiation. Maybe the place you live. Um, there's so many aspects of life. Everything involves a negotiation. Um, Abby, welcome to the stage. I'd love to hear your perspective on the topic. We're talking about you don't get what you deserve in life, but what you negotiate. What's your thoughts? Hi, Johnny, and thank you for having me. Um, I've just been listening to all the different points um, that are being made, and I think, 
think you have to. Ha- I, I think when I think about getting what you want in life, we have to have our own clarity about what it is that we want. I think sometimes we think we know what we want, but then we are so influenced by what's going on. I know you guys were just talking about being influenced by um, competition or somebody's. Um, so if you are doing well somewhere or in some, you know, some aspect of life, um, that that then there is more attention on there, and then there there feels like um, others might be trying to, you know, cut you down or whatever it is. And I think the more grounded we are in exactly the clarity we have about what is important to us, then all of the, the environmental influences become more noise, and then we can be on our said before I go to Brittany and then Jacob okay um, no I love that point and I think with all and I said it before you came in the room you know negotiations can be complex and it's really important to have that self-awareness and emotional intelligence of knowing your audience and what you're who you're negotiating with and understanding where they're coming from I always try to put myself in their shoes in trying to see the negotiation from their angle because it's really important rather than just curtailing yourself with just the one perspective. So I think those are the greatest negotiators, in my humble opinion, are those that are cool under pressure. They have a steady nerve. They hold. They hold when it becomes tight because there is a point of negotiation where you are tempted to cave if you hit a certain line when it comes to a difficult negotiation or price point, because what happens is with, with certain clients, they might put you in a position where they say, well, 
everybody else has taken that percentage. And if you don't, um, then unfortunately we might not be able to deal with you. So sometimes it can get quite aggressive or even passive aggressive. But if you can just navigate those waters, keep on the even keel, don't allow emotion to take over, keep with data, rationale, understand your intentionality, your perspective, where you wanna go with this negotiation and try to do it from a perspective where almost both sides kind of get what they want. So I often start out with a perspective with a client where I go into a, a, a negotiation, maybe at a much higher price, but I've, all, I've already reasoned with myself what price I'm prepared to accept in the, in the kind of ebb and flow of the negotiation. So it's really, really important to have that intentionality. And, and it's almost like a game of poker negotiation. It really is. Um, you know, you, you have to be careful and you have to utilize what hand you play at the right time. The best negotiators are able to say the right fins at the right time and they know which card to play uh, when they're playing their hand. Uh, thank you, Abby. Uh, so we've got uh, uh, Brittany and we've got the wonderful Alexandra as well, which uh, I brought you up and modded you because I've seen your, your profile. I think is so, so relevant to the room. Um, Brittany, you want to share? And then I'll go to Jacob and I see you, Paul, Roy, uh, uh, Siri and Astrobol. Just for one second, Johnny. Yes, go ahead, Dr. Rosha. So Alexandra Carter is the, and please forgive me for saying as female, first of all, she is an absolutely phenomenal negotiator. Has books out, is amazing, and especially can speak, and she was in your earlier, to how women can best negotiate. So just in case you didn't know, we're really honored to have her up on the stage. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, my headhunter eye and I uh, saw you straight away as well. And I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be any good at what I do if I couldn't spot talent and, 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 and people's profiles. You so I did. Best. You did. Thank you so much for the Russian act and a real pleasure to meet you on stage. Thank you for joining us, Alexandra. Uh, Brittany, are you there? I am, yeah. Go ahead. Your take on the topic. You don't get what you deserve in life, but you get what you negotiate. Wow, what a great topic. I mean, I think that's really the essence of life is figuring out what you want and then being able to, you know, I think it's such an important topic because people can really villainize this topic and it's like, yeah, but how are you going to be able to, um, you know, get to where you want to go? And even like the people that you date, you're enrolling people into choosing you. You're enrolling people into sales. You're enrolling your kids into eating the broccoli that they don't want to eat. And so negotiation is everything. You know, negotiation is not you getting what you want. It's you figuring out how you and the other person can build a win-win, not a win-lose. I don't think negotiating should be about you just getting people to cower down to what you want, but it's how do we figure out what we can do and negotiate so both parties are happy and both parties win. Um, and so that's something that's super big, so I absolutely love this topic and something that's really important. It's something that we talk about and study and, and focus on. So I love that you're hosting this, Johnny. Back to you. Uh Thank you, Brittany. And Brittany's a powerhouse on this app. So uh, great having you here. Thank you for your share, Brittany. Um, 
Okay, I said Jacob, and then we'll go to the wonderful Alexandra. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm enthralled into what you have to say on the topic. Uh, Jacob, are you down? You've been waiting a long time. Yeah, hey Johnny, thank you. Um, I'm not even sure where to start about. Um, sales, okay, so I guess the question that I would like to present, um, I was thinking about what really is the difference between selling, negotiating, and quote-unquote helping, right, ourselves or the other person. Um, and I heard the investing yourself is the best thing we could do. And I was thinking about the marketing of how we actually express everything. Um, I've been in sales for a long time, um, like literally every job I've ever had um, for the past 15 years. And I'm 31 right now. And um, I've worked in a lot of different industries. Um, and But there were some medical professionals in the room. Right, like mental health, like how about sales best practices? Because Dr. Roshan Astro, okay, earlier this week, there was a conversation about like plagiarism, right? And Johnny, you were like, it's okay to make money from what we do. And I was thinking about <clears throat> the core values that we have and how we actually get to the decisions that, that we make and that other people make right, when we're doing some sort of conflict resolution. And then I was thinking, well, very often in certain industries, it's kind of impossible to not kind of propagate the, the newest and best information that kind of comes out of certain disputes. Um, and then if we, if we have really good marketing ourselves and we do um, we do timestamps on our work, right? We can put reference to, yes, well, I did mention this a couple of years ago, right? And I've been wanting to talk about it, and I'm, I'm glad that um, other people are doing it type of attitude. Um, <clears throat> of course, money is a great motivator, and I feel like a lot of what we do is for financial gain. Which kind of makes sense because I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just worry about the actual psychology because I found in myself um, from being in the sales industry for a long time, I started looking at, well, how can I actually achieve something here? And then the, the phrase or the word opportunistic comes to mind. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let me go around and like look for stuff that I can achieve type of thing, which Sometimes it's okay, depending on how we express it. Um, yeah, and then I was just like emotion, rationale, right? And then um, I forget who it was. Uh, was it Abby or Alexandra? Um, they brought up uh, like eating, right? Dating is negotiation, selling, eating. What we're going, what we convince ourselves like, should I take the nutrients or should I take the, you know, the little slice of cake? Right, and how we actually process that. And then it's the same thing, and when we have negotiations with other people, it's the exact same thing. And they're doing those little minute processes. And the look at the wall technique is yes, for sure. Right? But there's always like a time and a place. Um, and it kinda, I've been thinking about 
the amount of data that people have and their level of interpretation of it. And if I'm able to identify the way that they're interpreting this piece of data, and if I have um, some sort of understanding of how to communicate um, toward the direction that, um, some sort of a collaborative direction, <clears throat> then I go ahead and present that. Um, anyway, so I, that was a bunch of words. I don't, um, thank you very much. And um, I would love to hear if there's any thoughts or opinions. Thank you, Jacob. And on that note, um, thank you for your share uh, and your depth of share. I could tell almost your the cogs in your brain working as, as you as you um, share with everyone. So I, I really like the fact of your your input and um, your intentionality in terms of really trying to um, share something with the, with the panel uh, that's rich in thought. So I want to basically pass the baton on to Alexandra, and I've just look at the profile yet again, you know, world's first female negotiator, trained to the UN Fortune 500, you know, got stellar credentials. So I'm going to zip it and I'm going to uh, pass the baton on to Alexandra and, and, and see your thoughts with not just what Jacob said, but you don't get what you deserve in life, Alexandra, but what you negotiate. What's your thoughts on everything? Hey, well, first of all, thank you so much for the warm welcome to the stage. And Dr. Roshanak, it's a pleasure to meet you. I took a look at your profile as well, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you very much uh, for those kind comments. So I'm Alex Carter, everybody. I am a full-time law professor at Columbia teaching negotiation. I'm also, at this point now, a full-time trainer, keynote speaker, and negotiation consultant to individuals and organizations around the world. You know, but I have a special heart and passion for giving people access to really high quality negotiation training, maybe especially for folks who didn't always feel like they had a seat at the table, right? I train many, many thousands of women every year some of whom are one of the only people in the C-suite, one of the only people on the board, one of the only people running their teams. You know, I've trained a lot of folks who are first-generation college or law school. And I, the first thing I want people to know is that negotiation is just a conversation, truly. When I teach it, I tell people to throw out the stuff they've learned before and just to imagine that they are sitting in a kayak paddling toward a beach, right? Because when you're negotiating a kayak toward a beach, all you're doing is steering. A conversation where you are steering a relationship, doesn't matter whether you're talking about money or not, that's negotiation. And negotiation is like oxygen to all of us whether we're in corporate, whether we're entrepreneurs, whether we are, as somebody was mentioning before, tired parents uh, trying to get your kids to eat the broccoli. By the way, getting your kids to eat vegetables is a great uh, highlight of the difference in negotiation between power and leverage. I have legal power over my daughter. But it's really, really hard to leverage a piece of broccoli into somebody's mouth forcibly, right? So it's a great, great lesson having kids for negotiation. 
And I guess the point I would say today is, uh, Johnny, I love this title. You don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. I would say the person that I help most around the world is the person who really has it all. They may have great credentials, they are hardworking, they have experience, and what they're doing is they're waiting for somebody to tap them on the shoulder and say, you're ready, you are deserving. You, you can go for that promotion. Yes, you can go for managing director. You are worth 25% more in the market, right? Yes, you know, you're worth taking time for yourself at home to rest and recharge. And they're waiting for somebody to tap them on the shoulder. And so the person I want to be most in the world is that tap on the shoulder for you, right? And to help you maybe in turn recognize within yourself that you are worthy and deserving. I'm sitting here actually today preparing a keynote tomorrow for a group of a thousand uh, C-suite executives. And the thing I'm talking to them about is negotiating beyond the contract. And so I'll end on this, that compensation is super important. It's probably what I spend most of my time on, whether with organizations or with individual people, right? Because a lot of why people pay me is they want to make 20, 25, 30% more on their deals. But negotiating a contract only gets you to day one. Beyond that, it's the everyday negotiations for time, for boundaries, for access, for respect, for title, for reporting chain. I could go on and on. The everyday negotiations and how you show up for those that are going to move the needle for you in the long term. But it all starts, it's an inside game negotiating. You have to think about, you have to be convinced that you deserve it before you're ever, ever going to be able to convince anyone else. So we could talk all day on this topic, but those are some initial thoughts. And thanks so much for having me up. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Mic flash, everyone, for uh, Alexandra. I thought that was a mini masterclass. Anyone want to chime in what Alexandra just said? Just flash your mic. Dr. Roshanak? Yeah, thank you so much. So, oh my gosh, I know I am fangirling over her so hard. Um, so we've talked a lot about many things, starting from, you know, the, the internal negotiation, with ourselves and that how that's the basis for all negotiation. And I feel like we've sort of come full circle here where everything in life is a negotiation. So yes, we talk about you don't get in life what you but negotiate for. And I love what Alexander said because everything in life is a negotiation. It always comes back to knowing yourself and what are you, who are you, what do you want, what do you stand for and being able to bring that in engagement with other people so that you can end up in this beautiful win-win situation where you not only get what you deserve, but the other side is grateful for having you be part of that connection, be part of that company, be part of that family, be part of that relationship. 
And that's that win-win, I think. I loved what you said, Alexander, when you negotiate even well with your child, what you end up having is not a child that you've overpowered and then as they grow up is going to have issues, but a beautiful relationship with that child who then actually then grows up to be a very powerful human being in their own right. So I absolutely loved what you said, Alexander, because it's the absolute foundation for us understanding the best way to move forward in the world, which is a win-win when we know ourselves, respect ourselves, bring forth the best of ourselves, and allow others to do the same and complete. Yeah, I love that, Dr. Roshanak. Uh, Robert? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that share, Dr. Roshanak. And Alexandria, yeah, I, I really enjoyed everything you had to say. And I, I particularly, you know, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the room around mindset, when Alexandria was saying, yeah, imagine yourself in that kayak and, and negotiation is a conversation. You know, I, I physically just imagined that conversation in my head and just could imagine the ocean and getting to the beach. And I think sometimes a lot of it is that, that mindset piece. So I think if everyone wants to take that away, just replay that in your head and just steer it. And I think you'll get a lot back from... Uh, those negotiations. So thank you so much for sort of setting that scene. That really, really landed with me. Uh, Jennifer, great points there, Rob. Uh, Jennifer? Yeah, just totally agree. Massive um, applause for Alexandra there. I think the thing that really resonated for me was this idea of, as I said earlier, waiting for someone to give you the tap on the shoulder to say that, that you're worthy of that request or to give you that permission to go for that next role. And I think... Um, that's the thing that is the, the biggest challenge and I think as you say it comes down to that mindset Rob of trying to believe in yourself to accept that you know it's not good enough just to be doing a good job you've actually got to go out there and, and not wait for someone else to give it to you but to go and make that negotiation happen so um, thank you very much Alexandra. Yeah and um, Siri did you want to say a great point yeah. there Jennifer? Thank you, I would very much love to chime in. Thank you, Alexandra, and um, oh, I don't know if I can uh, say your name, Roshanak. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you both touched upon what I was thinking about for quite some time, because I was asking myself, because I'm, I'm going into a negotiation with my boss now, and I've negotiated for over 20 years as a professional lawyer in the oil and gas industry, and I've, I've negotiated... Um, very, very important contracts for maybe thousand people 10 years ahead. Um, so I've been under a lot of pressure, but I'm wondering why am I intimidated now going into negotiating with my manager of three years? Um, uh, because he has given me very uh, little uh, pay raise. And it all comes down to confidence, just like Alexandra said. I was just, as I was listening to everyone here, it, it has to do with confidence. And I think as a takeaway, confidence is key. And how you get confidence, um, I'm thinking, is a few things. Um, one thing is planning, that is key. Um, and you've all said these things, and I just want to sum up my thoughts on it. Um, it's, it's a matter of... Um, just really having information, seeking all the information you can, and also vision, uh, visualizing what what can potentially happen when you go into negotiation or into the court as a lawyer. So uh, I remember being criticized by my manager once um, by saying, oh, you, "You think so much about the, the opponents." Um, arguments that you should focus on your own and and i was so glad that i focused on the, the opponents because i was prepared to meet their every move and then i was um yeah able to handle also the witnesses um and i also always see our uh, myself as um 
of course, part of the team. So planning is everything and also preparing your entire team. Um, and, and part of that planning is what what's our best case scenario? What's our worst case scenario? And what can we live with happily? What's the aim for today's meeting if we have to split it up? And that brings me into something saying confidence being, you know, something essential to confidence is also the Batma, as I'm sure many of you know. Um, can you move away from the negotiations knowing that you have alternatives? If you don't have alternatives, it's going to set much more requirements, of course, to your planning and your skills. And it's not enough with just planning. You also have to, like it was said by Jennifer, and um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to manage to say your name again. Yes, it was perfect. Thank you, Roshanai, uh, that you all were pointing at, um, um, yes, uh, the relations. Everything is boiling down to relations, I think, how you treat people. Um, because as you said so uh, perfectly, um, you will meet people again normally, or uh, you might meet them. And it's a matter of just um, thinking about winning the war, not just... Um, uh, one battle, right? There might be another one coming up. Um, so it's a matter of how you treat people. And so when I plan negotiations, I always have to have my team with me. Now, I've gone into such important negotiations with managers, um, leaders of corporate um, entities, and they haven't even planned. They haven't met in a pre-meeting. I've been so stunned many times that they, they don't really have time to sit down and discuss. You always have to plan, and you always have to um, decide who speaks when so that you can um, control the emotions that may arise um, so that you are one team um, and, and so that you won't have anyone in your team maybe make someone lose face or feel that like they're losing. So once you're very planned in your team and in your head, you have much more time to listen. And listen is also key, of course, listening skills. Listening with your entire, um, all your senses, right? Uh, your eyes, your, your ears, <laughs> and just uh, trying to find the overlying interests. Because if you're in harsh competition, it's always important to, to see what can I bring to the table? Then you can think about the win-win. What can I offer more? Can I find some leverage? Can I, find, can I bake a bigger cake? Do they need something that they don't even know about that I can bring to the table that's different, makes me stand out? So with all that said, I just want to say that... Um, yeah, uh, it's just um, boiling down to being, uh, as Alexandra said, deserving of something, believing actually that you deserve it. And the more prepared you are and the more alternatives you have, uh, the more um, successful you will be and the more flexible you can be with solutions. So you can be soft on people, but hard on the positions, but then also be flexible trying to be creative and find new positions. Um, so, but always leave room for win-win. Otherwise, it, um, yeah, you might lose in the long run. So that was my uh, thoughts. And uh, thank you for letting me speak so long. Thank, and thank you. you for having an inspiring room. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gary, for that wonderful share. So, Alexandra, uh, flash our mic a few times. Uh, do you want to respond? I do, Johnny. Thank you. Just briefly, Siri, I heard you say that you're nervous to go in to negotiate with your manager because you've received very small pay raises in the past. 
And I just wanted to say that, you know, sometimes we are nervous in negotiation because we have an internal negotiation going on. We are not sure if we deserve it. And other times we are nervous in negotiation because we are getting vibes in the workplace that maybe we are not valued the way we should be. And I just want to say that, you know, sometimes, Siri, that people are not going to fully value you. If you've been in a place for a while and you're getting small pay raises, I want you to go in and make the case. And in fact, Siri, I want you to take a look at my Instagram profile. I put a reel up today that I think will help you because you need to go in armed with some powerful questions first. This is the way I teach negotiation. This is what I wrote my book based on. You need to go in and basically be saying, okay, so tell me what you need to show in order to make the case for a major raise, right? And tell me how we can accomplish this together. And tell me, you know, within the next six months, how much of this can we get done, right? So recruiting him to your cause and asking some powerful questions to get there. But I also want to tell you that options are power. As a woman in the legal market, your worth has never been greater at this moment. I would immediately pick up the call and find some recruiters and get some data on what else is out there for you. Oil and gas, let me tell you, okay? Sometimes if people don't see your worth, asking for more means you go someplace where they do. All right. So wanted to share that with you, Siri, and I wish you the best. I, I hope you stay in touch and let us know what happens. I highly appreciate that. Thank you so much, Alexandra. And um, I must say that you are spot on um, and, and uh, on everything you said uh, with regards to feeling not valued and these things. And, um, and yes, I am the type who am already very well paid because I have moved around and I see my own pattern and that's why I'm analyzing it while I was listening to you guys because the first thing I do is start looking for a job. I know I will land one because I always do been there three years and I was just questioning, hmm, is this pattern uh, a smart one, Siri? You like it here. Uh, it is hard to change jobs when you have small kids, etc., etc. And the thing is, I negotiate with myself. Are you, uh, you are already paid more than many of the male uh, with the same background. And then I'm trying to negotiate with myself saying, okay, so he gives me 1%, that's far below each year what everyone else in the market, not everyone, many are getting. And then I'm also saying, oh, and you always get a high bonus because you always deliver on all the KPIs. And then I'm thinking, well, well <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself that because I'm well paid already and because I always have a high bonus because I deliver on the KPIs, I don't deserve a normal pay raise. For three years in a row, I got 1% while the... Uh, consumer price index is uh, th around three percent. It's it's not it's not uh, a good solution. So I just wanted to tell you thank you. I will. Uh, it, it really meant a lot to hear going with questions instead of going in hum with a humble and or or even just leaving as I was thinking about doing uh, going on to another job. So what I'm going to do is benchmark, like you say, I'm going to get the information and have the BATMA being able to alternatives to leave if I want to, but I don't really want to. I have a lot of nice colleagues, so it's a it's an inner debate. Um, but thank you so much for um, for your good advice. I will read up on your um, uh, Instagram and other areas, maybe your book, um, and uh, thank you for letting me uh, take that personal thing also to the stage. Thank, thank you so much, Siri. And did you see what Alexandra just did there? 
one of the most powerful things you can do in negotiating is ask good open questions. Tell me. Tell me, you know, it's such a good, such an important, important skill. What happens with people who fail to negotiate uh, well is too many close questions, not open questions, because power is, uh, information is power. Uh, Rob, do you want to chime in, mate? Yeah, no, absolutely, John. I was just going to echo what you were saying, the importance of effective questioning. And also, Siri, um, as someone in the, uh, I own a legal recruitment business, I can probably connect you with some people to give you access to a lot of that data. So uh, happy to take that offline and help if I can as well. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much. You're most welcome, everyone. This is Recruitment and Careers Club. This is, you know, the club that tries to offer as much value in terms of content as possible when it comes to social audio. We're the largest recruitment and careers club on this app. Do join the club. We're in touching distance of 20,000 um, members. Um, and we're, it's all about information, education, and hopefully entertainment whilst uh, we, we do these shows. And an important, ta- you can, uh, there's another key two hacks that I would like to give before I go to Paul. Um, and that is sometimes when you're negotiating, right? What we were taught uh, in the world of recruitment and careers and, 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 and uh, uh, in sales floors that I've worked in over 23 years is when you were t- uh, doing telephone calls and you were in negotiations, they always said to us, stand up, stand up. Don't sit down, hunch down when you're in negotiations. Why? When you stand up, I'm standing up now, okay? You, you, there is a calming effect. You feel more powerful. You feel like you're at the same level of importance. What happens with negotiations a lot of the time is that mindset stuff of like, me, I'm little, I'm small, I'm not worthy, I'm not as important. And that affects your positioning power, especially in the world of what we're entering into is, is going to be the rise of the micro-entrepreneur. We've got a room on Wednesday where I'm, uh, I'm stating that uh, uh, things that I've read and I've seen and I've followed, where by 2030, everyone in one shape or fashion will be an entrepreneur, okay? And in whatever shape or fashion that might be. It might be a side hustle, it might be a freelancer, it might be all other aspects. And you've got to understand the importance of negotiating and thinking big and have importance. So... When you're sometimes, if you're on the phone, whether you're a coach, whether you're a consultant, whether you're a small business and a founder, this is aimed at those people, not your big companies, your Apples, your Ericsson, where they can flash the card, throw their weight and everything else in the negotiation. Um, it's important to have any kind of hacks that you have. So it's one small thing that you can do, one important thing rather you can do is to stand up when you're negotiating on the phone. It gives you that sense of power and purpose and importance than when you're hunched down, crouched in front of the phone or computer, it doesn't. Another key aspect that I would say is creative thinking. Creative thinking is so important in a negotiation because you will reach a point in a negotiation where you might hit the brick wall or it gets very, very tough. And it's important to have that creativity to bridge the gap between both sides. It's really important, and I do that a lot in my world, and I know Robert does as well, where you can bridge the gap and you offer a solution that's creative, okay? Creativity is actually really, really key in unlocking a lot of high-value solutions that meet both interests that I would say is really, really important. So don't be, don't be afraid and actually make sure that you 
um, increase your levels of creativity or start to uh, get those creative juices going because too often what happens with both uh, uh, parties when a negotiation goes south or goes wrong is because both parties are very intransigent in their own positions and they dig deep, dig deep, dig deep. And creativity is the key to unlocking that. So I don't know if anyone wants to chime in on that before I go to uh, Paul. Okay, uh, Paul, are you there? I am. Go yes, ahead, my friend. Yeah. So I'll respond to that. And uh, Alexandra and Roshanak, uh comments. I, I'm a psychotherapist, so all the quote-unquote helping people with negotiating I do is either in families, like I have had lately a lot of uh, adult children wanting to negotiate with their aging parents around things, either healing things from the past or addressing what's going to be happening with their as they're aging and one of the things i notice is that um and we've talked a lot about this on this app is that when people's brains perceive the negotiation the, the even the other person as a threat um and as you're fond of saying dr Roshanuk, uh the brain's primary purpose is to uh, help us feel and or be safe. Um, and that happens all the time. There's all kinds of threats we perceive, especially if we run a bit anxious neurologically. And so um, just helping people uh, sort of find a way to push a pause button and pay attention to what's going on internally and realize, wow, I'm digging in, like you were just talking about, Johnny in large part because I perceive either the other person as intimidating and a threat to me or there's a threat to the relationship if I really assert myself or there's a threat that I won't get what I want and it's really easy to uh, go down a rabbit hole and get and either move into fight, flight or freeze or what have you and so I just wondered if, what thoughts you guys have about um, how to, when, when you become mindful of that what steps do you take when you're that's going on inside you and um and i guess related to that is asserting oneself and the difference between being assertive aggressive um and or passive because i think my experience is that if we're not being assertive we're either going to be passive aggressive or or start getting aggressive so that's it mm, i love those points uh, uh Alexandra and the Dr. Roshanak. Let's go to Dr. Roshanak. I'd love to hear what she has to say. Oh no, please. I, I defer to you first. I okay. So, um, Paul, I want to tell you, uh, sort of tongue in cheek, but also sort of seriously, based on research, that the difference between being assertive and aggressive is um, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, there is plenty yep. of research to show that women are too often characterized as being aggressive for the same exact behaviors that get called assertive coming from a man. And it's interesting because as you were talking about those terms and then asking your question, how do we observe ourselves when we're having that reaction, the fight, the flight, or the freeze? Right, those trauma reactions that can come up for us during negotiation. And I want to tell you that I 
I have those just like anybody else. You can be very well trained in negotiation, and guess what? You're still a human being, and you still have things that push on your buttons. And I actually had a very well known expert in my field. Uh, older guy who called me up after hearing me on Clubhouse to say, you know, I think you're brilliant. I want to help you. <laughs> I didn't ask for help, and um, and basically went on to tell me that he thought I would be a superstar if I could be less aggressive. And at that moment, this person was also a, a psychologist. Wow. I noticed that I kind of left my body for a second because any woman who hears that word, right? immediately has, or most women, will have a trauma response because they've been called that before to keep them small, to keep them quiet, to keep them complacent. And in that moment, I think your your greatest weapons in negotiation are these. Silence is a superpower. By the way, if you are silent in negotiation, this is a terrific way of retaining command and control and also prompting, research shows that three and a half seconds of silence provokes a high-value move from the other side. That's just this year, and in fact, Paul, that's from the Journal of Applied Psychology. It's a really, really interesting study uh, that you might like to take a look at. The other thing I love to do, and this goes back to you know what uh, Johnny and Robert were talking about before, if somebody says something that provokes that, I simply look them square in the eye and I say, Tell me more about that. They could say something so offensive. One woman I counseled was um, the chief officer of DNI at her company. She went in to negotiate for more based on her performance, and they said to her, "Don't be silly. Your husband makes more than enough." Can you imagine? And she just looked at them and said, "Let me make sure I have that right." So we're here to talk about my performance, and what you've shared with me is that. My husband makes more than enough, uh, so I shouldn't need to ask for more. Can you tell me more about that? And sometimes, right, the silence plus a well-placed tell me more can be incredibly effective. Last thing I'll say is that, you know, you know this as a psychotherapist, try not to be judgmental of yourself, right? If Dr. Roshanek and I are, you know, talking and something comes up that's a trigger for me, right, instead of saying, oh, God, why am I doing this? I never would like to ask why. Why is a super judgmental question. It keeps us stuck in blame and in the past, whether I'm asking myself or I'm asking somebody else. Instead, I like to ask myself what? What is happening for me right now? What support do I need? And moving from why to what in my internal dialogue is something that really helps me keep a lid on when I'm tempted to blow it. So those are my thoughts. Dr. Roshan, I would love to hear what you have to say. Wow, I'm so blown away. I forgot the question. So I was like hanging on every word. It was fantastic. I can't even think straight right now. Um, Paul, was your question about what happens when you go into a trauma response? Yeah, essentially, I mean, we've talked about this in multiple rooms before, but um, trying to uh, come from a place of um, Having, having clear that I deserve this, say the person that's negotiating, um, and then trying to assert themselves, um, but perceiving all manner of threats in the process, just sort of best practices for um, 
you know, uh, resetting and knowing that I'm experiencing this or whoever it is is experiencing the other person or the potential loss of, of my job if I assert myself or whatever it might be. Um, how do, what's the best way to manage that in the moment? And that's pretty much the question. Okay, so my first answer to that is you don't wait until you have to manage it in the moment. So it goes back to what I said at the very beginning of the room. The most important negotiation that you can have and the negotiation that you must have before any other negotiation in order because so my thing is you want to have the best life possible, right? And I agree with Alexander, you don't ask why, because why reminds you of when your parents said why, and so you always ask a what question and maybe a how. But one time you should ask why is all the different goals that we set, because negotiation is you want to reach the goal. Let's go back to first principle. What are we doing? We want to get to somewhere. Why do you want to get to that somewhere? That's when you do start asking the why. When you're talking about goal setting, you have to ask yourself, what is the reason that you want this thing? And then you go back to the highest reason. And then you start to work your way down from that. And if what you want is to have a life of great achievement and fulfillment that is in alignment with your gifts and blessings and your highest self and all that you have to offer, then you need to find out if there's something that's resist that's causing you resistance that you need to go through that you've been you know uh, dealing with and negotiating with with yourself as you've been going through your life. In other words, so Michelangelo, right, great, one of the greatest sculptors we've ever known, the reason we have the term Renaissance man, when everyone asked him, you know, you're a genius, you're amazing, how do you create such masterpieces? He would say, I don't. I don't create anything. I simply see the sculpture trapped in marble, and I set it free. Every single person gets trapped by the stories and what's happened to them that keeps them from being free and able to show that iconic sculptor, that masterpiece that they are. So before you ever set foot into any negotiation, because as Alexander beautifully told us, first thing is that your whole life is a negotiation. You need to figure out what's been blocking you. Where are those layers of marble that have trapped you from being that masterpiece that you already are? And trauma, most people will confuse as something that's an egregious event, something that is devastating like a war or an extreme abuse. Whereas what it is, is it's an overwhelming event, one in which you feel you cannot cope, one in which you feel helpless and doesn't allow you to connect with all your emotions to move forward. And typically, if you're in an extreme trauma, it doesn't get to the cortex. So a lot of people will say, have a good attitude, you know, it's choice, it's confidence, it's this and that. It never gets up to the cortex. It doesn't get up that high. It's, it goes before that, and so it gets trapped in your body. What does that mean? All the different ways that you're feeling in that moment of negotiation, those, those feelings in your body are signaling to your brain and the more that you have familiarity with your emotions, the better you'll be able to say, oh, I know what this is, and then to be able to respond to that. So you work in advance to make sure that you pull this up and out of your body so it never gets to the point. You know, preparation is the greatest thing you can do in negotiation. Forgive me if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Alexander, but preparation is the greatest way to move into a negotiation. And if you know you've got these issues, then you take care of yourself first, pull that out of your body and get yourself into a place where you have learned control because the brain learns control. We're born helpless. 
And the minute you start taking action, the brain learns control and it releases anxiety from one part of your brain where the signals go. And it um, also releases immobilization so that you are able to take further action. And then for future events, it has expectation. And this is how you get out of that from a, a neurobiopsychological view. Um, I think that would be the best advice that I could give if I could address this appropriately. I'm Dr. Ashman. Thank you both so much. Uh, one follow-up question, and if there's not time, you guys can pass it on but to later or another day. But uh, there's a young woman I'm friends with who I'm sort of just coaching as a friend and or a mentor and who is negotiating and tends to get marginalized because she's female, she's bright, and she's also relatively um, emotionally, she hasn't learned how to regulate her emotions yet very well. And so she, there's sort of a self-fulfilling uh, dynamic where she, you know, um, speaks before she's prepared and then submarines her, uh, the impressions of her, even though she's got all manner of great value to bring. And so I'm just wondering, Alexandra, when you're coaching women or anyone, um, how, how you um, help someone in that position, because it's, they're both getting, she's both getting gaslit and there's something there for her to learn. I'm Paul and that's it. That's a, that's a great question. And I'm going to say, Paul, I feel like I'm going to speak from personal experience. You know, I think I've, I've already learned enough just living in the world. <laughs> I've learned enough hard lessons about um, how people are going to treat me as a woman. And at this point, I'm not recruiting extra um, new experiences to help me grow or uh, strengthen my muscles. If somebody is being gaslit, and like, you know, the, the real definition of gaslit is when people are deliberately giving you false information to make you doubt your reality, um, you know, sometimes the thing with negotiation is I teach people how to ask questions, I teach them how to use silence, I teach them how to use a masterful mediation technique called reframing or restating where you are repeating people's words back to them in a form that's helpful to them and also helpful to you. I can teach all that, but in the end, it presupposes the person on the other side having good faith, being a normal human being who may have flaws and faults, but is also trying to get to a good place in the best way they know how. When we start to get malintent or gaslighting on the other side, the best possible use of your negotiation tools is to draw a boundary and to exit, right? To tactfully, assertively state your boundary and then to remove yourself from that harmful situation. So those are my thoughts. I generally don't, you know, if, I counsel my clients to use their tools to give people an opportunity to make things right because we don't want to assume. But if you give them opportunities to make it right and there is malintent on the other side, see ya, right? Then it's time to explore your options and go to a place that's not going to be like that for you. 
something to that? Yeah, it's a rich kind of exchange and then we'll go ahead, Dr. Roshanet. Very quickly. So I appreciate what you said, um, Alexandra, I'm going to call you that. Um, um, Dr. Roshanet, you should call me Alex, in fact. That's what my friends call me. Thank you so much, um, Alex. So while I absolutely agree, you know, the gray rock thing with um, narcissism is the way to go and set your boundaries and what, but if you're in a position where you can't and you are dealing with a narcissist, so I, one of the people that I work with a lot in SAP is Dr. Natalie Martinick. She's amazing. She's a narcissist hacker. And so we've talked about this uh, a fair amount, and I recommend everyone to, actually, actually I think she has room later on tonight, um, one of the things that you can do is that narcissism, because you were asking about trauma, is that narcissism comes from an, an, a, a trauma, right? And so, and if you can't get away, the narcissist always wants to be in a position where they are celebrated, where they are, you know, shown up to be in their best light. So one of the ways that you can negotiate, if you must negotiate with a narcissist or someone who is in fact gaslighting, which is a narcissist, then you position whatever it is that the author of the ask is that puts them in the best light, that gives them an advantage to look good, and or mitigates them looking bad. Because their number one concern is, how can I look good? How can I always be on top? How can I always be revered? And if you cannot get away and you must negotiate, that is the best way to negotiate, if I dare say this in front of you, Alex, insofar as narcissism is concerned. Attraction complete. That's a masterful share, I have to say. It's it's an incredible share. I'm not an expert on narcissism, but um, the technique we use in mediation is called stroking, right? If you can find something truthful to recognize that person for, it has to be truthful. Um, that is often one of the best ways then to get that person in a frame of mind where they might be able to listen to what you have to say. But I think you took it a step further, and I love that. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, great stuff there. Thank you, Paul, for your questions. As Astrobal, I, uh, sorry if I've butchered your name. Uh, you've got the floor. Are you there, Astrobal? Because 
The point of the negotiation are not clear. The psychology, the law point of the psychology of the bad ideas by the tyranny uh, is not going on by the, by the opposition. This is a, 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 little, a little bit of respect psychology. But in general, in general, it's really interesting to integrate our knowledge of the other party. Uh, we can, we have to uh, isolate, to divide our possibilities, our expectations, in order to, to put a cutting edge respect our offers and proposals in the negotiations table. Uh, we never improvise. We can be unprepared to a negotiation. And more sad than no other party, you have to make a deep study about other external factors that could have an incidence uh, that you are going to deal with. And, uh, and, 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 and as a final point, it's not only about to get the deal. It's, 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 to, it's to put the focus around this deal is going to be accomplished along the time. And if this uh, agreement or deal is going to be respected in order to know if this relationship is going to be for longer or not. My best wishes to the presentations from Caracas, Venezuela, amazing. Thank you so much for your show. Um, it was a little difficult to hear you, but it's, 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 isn't it great to get everyone from all over the world on an app like this, Venezuela, all over the world that we're all joined in our mutual interest in the uh, discussion about negotiation and you don't get what you deserve in life, but what you negotiate. Um, so I'm going to give you some tips on what I would say to take away as well from the perspective of world and uh, recruitment and careers. I've been in the recruitment and uh, headhunting. I'm ranked top 1% global headhunters. Um, I've been doing this for 23 years, been negotiating for many, many clients and many, many uh, uh, candidates, uh, as well as having placed over 3,000 people globally and dealing with so many negotiations when it comes to uh, contracts, job offers, um, scenarios in terms of commercials as a SME, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, um, dealing with much, much bigger entities, you know, from the likes of Ericsson, Amazon, Mars, Unilever, the largest telco operators, where the balance, the, the position of power is very much weighed towards them as opposed to an independent or a boutique. And we are going to be in the era after this pandemic of the rise of the micro-entrepreneur. Uh, it, it's a real thing. It's going to be happening more and more and more. Um, and it's important to understand that the art of negotiation, and we've heard some wonderful, wonderful shares with the likes of Alexandra, Dr. Roshanak, Robert, Jennifer, Abby, and the rest on the panel. Um, and I would say first aspect is what people get wrong is they, they commit too early, right? They commit, committing too early is an issue. So don't wait for your counterpart to make the first move. Sometimes you need to take the initiative and establish how you work together. That, that, that I find quite good in terms of my own experience of these things. Um, so that's the first aspect. Two, we talked about failing to listen. And salespeople are very guilty of this when it comes to negotiations. When you're negotiating a contract, when you're negotiating the, the, the deal, it's really the 80-20 rule. 
You should spend 80% of the time listening, 20% of the time selling. Why? Because information is what you're going to be selling against. You need to understand the problem of what you're trying to solve. And when you're negotiating your price point, the bigger the problem, the bigger the pain, the more the person is willing to pay for that pain and problem to go away. The bigger the problem, the bigger the pain, the more the person is willing to pay for that problem or pain to go away you need that's really really essential understanding the pain point and the problem of what you're negotiating with in terms of your price point um and if the the problem's not big enough or the pain is not strong enough then that they will uh, when that pain is strong enough and when that problem is big enough they'll come back round and then you can facilitate a relationship but it's really uh, uh, important to understand that and when you're not listening you can't then get to the source of what that pain and problem is so when you're negotiating it's really really important to listen and listening is a hard skill if i did an exercise with everyone on this uh, uh, stage and we've done it before in in sales floors and stuff like that and some people we all you know we we think we're good listeners but we're amazed on how much you actually fail to listen when you do an exercise a listening exercise uh, and what information you've missed it's really really important to tune in your listening skills number 3 focusing on position not interest so in in negotiation it's important to distinguish the uh, between positions the what and the interest and the why so you need to go beyond what you want and identify what you want it. So what are your deep, deep down needs, aims, fears, concerns in the negotiation? That's really, really important and identify your motivators. Um, I'd, number four, evaluating options too soon. So the goal is now to develop all possible solutions that can meet the interest of everyone. So you might write down as many as you can. Uh, the more options you have, the best the, will the negotiations to turn out. These are just possibilities and don't really represent any kind of formal uh, commitment. So it's important that aspect. Five, mistaking the people for the problem. So for many professionals, negotiations by definition are a source of conflict. And people don't get, they're not like um, comfortable with it at times, negotiation, because they see it as like, oh, you know, this is like a conflict situation because we're not agreeing. And the mindset kicks in, the fear comes in, and they, and then that affects the whole scenario of how the negotiation will unwind. So it's really, really important to understand that aspect. Um, and the problem is that you might tend to mix both the relationship issues with the actual substance of the relationship. So it's important and critical in conflict management to separate those two segments. Um, in other words, really, negotiations and negotiating is a collaborative process, right? Sometimes we forget the client has also chosen you, right? As much as you chosen them. You're their first option, right? And sometimes we forget that. We forget that, they, you know, they, they, it's in their interest as well to make this work because you're their first option in terms of the choices that they've gone through, whether it be a procurement process, whether it be a scenario of a tender, whether it be a referral or a recommendation, okay? So you need to remember that in terms of the negotiation. I think what happens is we get that sense of like, they're big, they're mighty, I'm small, I'm independent, or when it comes to business. And when it comes to careers at times, we also maybe devalue or take for granted what we actually are good at and what we actually contribute. 
And that is an important mindset uh, mindset shift that we all need to do. You know, and I, like I said, I've been guilty of the past of taking my knowledge and, and wisdoms. Oh, everybody knows that, or devaluing it. When you when you go down that path, you start then undersell. And when you undersell, you don't get the best negotiation, whether it be that next job promotion, whether it be that making sure that you get the right package. And we've also discussed data, you know, in having the metrics available, do your homework, do your due diligence when it comes to negotiations. You know, we've got a saying, you know, fail to plan, prepare to fail. Fail to plan, prepare to fail. So whenever I go into negotiations, I make sure all my ducks are in a row, that I'm on top of my brief, that I understand exactly what I'm getting into with the negotiation. It's also important, the key aspect of emotional intelligence, put yourself in their shoes, okay? I have awareness of your audience, have cultural sensitivities, because no two people are the same when it comes to a negotiation, okay? That's really, really critical, these aspects. And always look to improve, you know? Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. We're not just born into this world like king of the tree or queen of the tree in terms of negotiations. A lot of it comes through mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And then making sure you don't make the same mistakes. It's also important to read those verbals, the non-verbals, the body language. They can be cues and telltale signs when you're in a negotiation. Another aspect is the general mindset of it all, right? If we feel we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we don't believe in ourselves enough, we don't have enough confidence, guess what? You're not gonna get the right negotiation outcome for you. So it's important to have that self-worth, that self-belief, that confidence, that you are worthy, you are good enough, and it's a two-way process. As much as they want you, you and, and as much as you want them, and it's about making sure that you can try to uh, uh, reach a point in the, in the middle where both sides kind of walk away from it thinking they got something out of that negotiation. They're happy with the way the negotiations have panned out. And an important element to all of that is creativity. If we can be creative in our solutions when we hit brick walls, when we have tough moments, because I guarantee you there will be tough moments There'll be things that you might be uncomfortable about. There'll be scenarios where it's difficult. And it's, that, and it's that person who can get that creativity going in terms of creativity on your solutions that you can provide to the client. Have you thought about this, Mr. Client? What would you think in, if we did this in, this in this aspect or on that scenario? It shows you going that extra yard. And it's also trying to show your client that you're trying to do everything possible and get into a position where you can both agree. And another last important aspect, never be afraid to walk away from a negotiation. Sometimes it doesn't work. And a bad deal is, is not good. You don't want a bad deal. No deal is better than a bad deal. No deal is better than a bad deal. Trust me, when it comes to business. Um, so I just wanted to say those points. I've got the, the link above my head. Uh, Johnny Nash, I'm, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm here to, uh, for coaching when it comes to careers and all aspects um, for your world of work. Um, please look me up on uh, LinkedIn, do your due diligence. Um, 
Uh, it's really important, especially on, on, on Clubhouse, because you never know what you're going to get, um, as Forrest Gump once said. Um, so please look up uh, on the link and click the link. And also the most wonderful moderators like Robert, Dr. Roshanak, Jennifer, Abby, Alexandra, Paul, Siri, uh, Jacob, uh, Anson and Albert. Uh, Robert, did you want to say something? Sorry, my friend. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much once again, Johnny, for hosting and curating a, a wonderful conversation. I just wanted to encourage everybody, if you haven't already, please do check out the Recruitment and Careers Club, become a member. Johnny has been doing this consistently for a number of months now and built a wonderful, diverse community. I think just today we can see the, the breadth of knowledge Johnny brings into his room. And thank you so much to, to Roshanak, Jennifer, Abby, Alexandra, and all the wonderful speakers we've had today and without your consistency Johnny and what you're doing for this community this wouldn't be possible so I'd encourage everyone to make sure you give Johnny a follow become a member of the club and do check out Johnny on LinkedIn he's in the top one percent for his field in terms of fintech tech recruitment I can tell you from my own experience that's bloody hard to get there so it's years of hard graft he's a wonderful careers coach and all-round lovely human being so Johnny you deserve all the success thank you for creating a wonderful discussion and have a well-deserved evening my friend this has been done oh that's so kind of you rob i really appreciate you and and uh i'm blushing here from london uh but uh thank you for your kind words and, and right back at you and this is why rob and i want to drive this club because recruitment headhunting you know sometimes coaching can get a really bad rap and if we can make a difference in building a community and like I said, there is nothing wrong with being paid for what you're doing. There's everything right about it. And we want to make sure that we embrace this community, have an engaged community. I've just put the link up, Recruitment and Careers Club uh, podcast, which you'll find on Apple. I'm going to be putting up uh, an episode on there in the next 30 minutes. Uh, so please download that. But if we want to have an engaged community because prevention is better than cure. You know, 85% of people are unhappy in their jobs. 60% of entrepreneurs fail by year three, okay? So that's why we want to make as much of an insightful club as we can with recruitment and careers. And please do reach out to Robert, you know, in terms of he's doing so much great work. It's not a joke to get a podcast in the top two and a half percent. And no disrespect, legal is not always the most sexiest industry of all in terms of mass adoption, but you've done it, my friend. And you're a great community builder. You know, and you do so much content on Instagram and everything else, and you, you deserve all the flowers. Uh, and he's a great entrepreneur and, and a great friend of mine. So please do check out Robert and, and reach out to him. And all the great, great panelists. Dr. Roshanak's doing so much amazing work. Jennifer's amazing. Avi's a great marketing strategist. And I'm so glad to have met you, Alexandra. I've just followed you uh, as well. I hope to do more rooms with you in the future. You've been absolutely wonderful in all your shares. I want to thank Paul for his wonderful questions. Siri, uh, great to have you. Astrobal from Venezuela, excuse the pronunciation. Jacob, Albert, and sorry we didn't get to you, Anson, this time around, but time has been just uh, cut short. I was only going to do this for an hour and a half, but we've been going for two and a half hours. So I want to thank everyone and you, the audience of all, on your Sunday for taking time out of your day to, 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 to join us on this show. So I want to thank everybody uh, for your time and everything else involved. Thank you, uh, everyone. Thank you so much, Johnny, for yet another insightful and